What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Season Gaming Big Cast, episode 257. And on time, as always, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern prompt. I am your host, Ainsley Bowden. we got a big show today, a lot of big topics to talk about. We've got, uh, obviously, uh, Microsoft and the whole Activision Blizzard details, and even just, what, 20 minutes ago, Philly Spence, our good friend Philly Spence, um, <laughs> talking about keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation. We've got a bungee lawsuit to talk about. We've got uh, Black Panther. We've got Remnant 2. We've got uh, a whole bunch of things, and we've got the worst game that Travis has reviewed in quite some time, actually. Yeah, which is saying but yeah, that's, that's a lot. It's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> so it should be a good one. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good to see you with this fabulous panel here. So the rather sharply, extra sharply, extra dapper man this morning, Mr. Ty Guy Travis. How we doing? I'm doing well. McClunky, everyone. It's nice to see everybody today, this morning. I'm uh, coming off of an all-nighter. I did not sleep last night, <laughs> um, which is why I'm still dressed like I was yesterday. But uh, I finished my... Upcoming review that's going to go live on Thursday. Some Thursday, yeah, that day. Sure, I'm sure that's <laughs> true. Um, but my deadline is tomorrow, so I wanted to get it get it done early because I got stuff going on today. So yeah, I, but I like I to think with, with that set of facts that you worked all night and you're dressed like you were yesterday. That mm-hmm. you just always dress in a suit coat vest, <laughs> right? Reviews yes. of video games. That is one hundred percent accurate. This is what I looked like yesterday when I did not appear on camera and I was typing a lot. So, yeah, <laughs> I like it. That that's commitment. Yeah, yes. I can yes. barely be bothered to wear pants. Only clothes I own. <laughs> we have no proof that Dan ever wears pants on the show. There is none, <laughs> and I have Do not have, asked for any. Yeah. Do we have clear. proof any of us wear pants on the show? To be to be fair, probably every time. No, because my camera. I was gonna say every time my camera freezes, I stand yeah. up. But you can't see yeah. it because my camera's frozen. So it doesn't that's really why matter. I think Ains is Donald Duckin right now. If I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> Back with us uh, a little bit late today, but he's here. You know, he's here. The mic's working. The camera's working. I am very proud to say the host of Virtual Legality is back, and obviously our number one Raymond fan, Mr. Hogue Law. How we doing? I do love Raymond. <laughs> Raymond. <laughs> I do. I'm good. You know, we did virtual legality. People have been asking me to comment, obviously, on Microsoft Times Activision, but also a lot of other things. And it's been quite a trick to figure out how to make virtual legalities with the current setup that I have and with my current position in rehabilitation. And so figuring all that out and getting a video out this week was a really big step. It might not feel a lot different to folks on the outside. Hopefully, that's the idea. But it was a really big step for me internally. And then being able to replicate it and do a second video a couple days later is really good feeling. I'm not 100% happy with my output yet or where things are at, but I may never be. But I am happy that we got videos out on this. And it's obviously been a really big week in the news. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great to see so many people, uh, you know, throw it up. I saw the the response to you getting that video out and how many people interacted with it. And uh, it's awesome to see. So good job, man. Great to see you back uh, at, you know, back. I use some quotes, but, you know, yeah. at least producing the video. So it's awesome. And of course, the man, the myth, the seven himself, Mr. Rodriguez. How we doing, brother? I'm here. I'm, I made it uh, on time. So I'm good. 
<laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> you keep morning. expectations was, low, and then you, I, you yeah, know, I mean, I really do. do. Yeah, <laughs> don't expect much. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, we've got a uh, like I said, a lot to talk about today. Uh, we will, of course, be getting to uh, the details that uh, Rick broke down in his videos regarding uh, the news this week about Microsoft. Um, you know, uh, beating the FTC in court, the appeal getting denied, of course, of the injunction. And of course, like I said, just like 20, 30 minutes ago, uh, Phil Spencer announcing that they have signed a deal with PlayStation to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation um, and, and and a bunch of details around that. But of course, before we get into all of that, we've got some games to talk about. Um, so we've got uh, quite a few things to talk about today in terms of what we're playing. But first, before we get to the other games we've been playing, of course, I need Travis to talk to us about, uh, real quick, as we're talking about Testament and you talk about your review for this, I just want to ask you real quick, do you want to replace one of your six games on Keeley's Game of the Year Awards for Testament? Because I'll allow you to do that. I think I will pass. Um, okay, just checking. Offer, uh, but I I don't think it's gonna make it personally. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a really crowded year, you know. A lot of. Lot of <laughs> I mean, I heard it got some nines. It did. <laughs> I did look up that review, and uh, interestingly, that nine is not a Metacritic score, so I think it might be somebody's just like personal, you know. I think it was just a blog site, a blog cool. post. Yeah, yeah. but it, it does appear to be a review of the company that made the game, not the actual game itself. It's mostly references to the company and their personal struggles. And I mean, that's great. If, if I were reviewing the studio itself, I'd probably be a very different article, but that's not what I do. So yeah, um, I can talk about Testament. Um, yes. Testament was a game I had heard nothing about. I was offered to review it and I immediately said yes, because that's what I do. Travis, uh, can you help me out for a little bit? How, sure. how does it, how does a game like that that I'd never heard of either get picked yeah. for IGN review? Like, how does that happen? That got picked for an IGN review because it performed well, and that tends to be what we go off of. We go off of does there seem to be interest around a game? Like um, trailer and clicks and things, trailers and that sort of thing. And it seemed like a lot of people were watching the trailer, which I actually looked at during my review process to go, okay, how did this actually get attention? And I noticed it was one of those trailers that never show more than one second of gameplay before jumping to a new shot. And I was like, oh, okay, I get what happened. Um, but yeah, it, it it did like trailer fairly well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I did not know anything about it and, and played it. And, um, what starts out is like a pretty, pretty bad, you know, lower budget feeling kind of fantasy game, uh, quickly becomes really bad as you uh, are forced to play it for 40 hours, uh, and it progressively gets worse. Um, it has some really just God awful combat design where, uh, you like, a lot of the enemies are invincible unless you take out your bow and you shoot an invisible eyeball that's over their head. But first you have to go into detective mode in combat, scan the eyeball while you're getting hit by people and then take out your bow and shoot the eyeball while you're dodging and getting hit and interrupted by enemies that are attacking you. And then on top of that, they add these darkness zones where you constantly take damage and have all of your magic drained until you go and hunt for four eyeballs that are also invisible throughout the world while you're getting attacked by enemies during that process. So it's just like, you know, like, Hey, let's make a super frustrating experience for the player and then like make them do it over and over again for 40 hours with no breaks. Uh, nice. Well, there are breaks. There's, there's puzzle sections, which are actually the one part of the game where I was like, okay, this actually isn't bad. Like, you know, you solve 
a puzzle you jump around but it you know there's nothing special about those puzzle sections it's mostly just that you're relieved that you're not going through any more of the combat um and then you know it has it has other problems on top of it i assume it was not made by an english-speaking um uh developer they they spell their own game's name wrong multiple times throughout the the game they you know lots of misspelled lines and weird voice acting that i'm like i don't know who this is made for and um yeah you know i played it over uh like a weekend and and some change and uh it was i think it was the long weekend no no that was that was that was one two switch i'm getting my horrible it just felt long it felt long it felt really long yeah so there's nothing especially bad about that game except for the bugs actually the bugs are are pretty bad in that game uh, where you can see developer objects. <laughs> That's in my review. Sometimes you'll just see like a chessboard like gate that was supposed to, you know, where they cut off certain areas of the arena. Like you walk in and the door closes behind you. They had like those effects visible a lot of the time. I saw it like four or five times every couple hours. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, pretty interesting, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. It never doesn't bring me any joy to, to, you know, say a game is, is bad, but, uh, that that's the gig. You got to do that for people that, uh, maybe would have made a decision that they would have regretted, uh, and bought the game and, and not really understood what they were getting themselves into. And so now anybody who buys it, at least they'll know what I think of the game and what I think they're getting themselves into. And, you know, that's there it. You go. That's the game. And as always, you can do with Travis's opinion, what you will. True, yeah, but he went through yeah. this pain, so you don't have to. It, it <laughs> is a U.S. developer, that. though. I'm trying. What's that? It is a developer from the U.S. They are a that small... is very surprising. Yeah, Fairy Tale <laughs> or Fairy Ship Games. I just looked it up. Actually, you know what? Uh, I I won't say that's surprising. In America, I think one of the great things about it is that we don't have a national language, and so they they still could be non English speaking, and that would be that's very true. American of them to do that. Uh, so. Mo and Joe Naderi are uh, the people that started that studio so okay yeah you well and you uh, gave the game what score i gave it a two out of nice. ten which mm -hmm. is painful and i was driven to that score because it was a painful <laughs> experience for me to get through that game uh and uh you know part of it was that the game offers like a lot of optional stuff for you to pursue and because it seems like it was a, a part of the game that they were pretty proud of like Lots of like loading screens telling you like, hey, did you know you can do this? And they kind of pitch the game as like a Metroidvania where you go back and you discover mm -hmm. other stuff. For that reason, I did kind of a completionist playthrough. Like I did all of the major side quests and stuff. Like I played all the content wondering if like, you know, there was going to be like a crazy end game where stuff really opened up. And instead that made it like significantly worse because a lot of the side content, they just make you fight a different colored version of the same boss you fought like an hour ago. And it's just it's a it's a wreck man it's pretty uh it's, pr it's pretty pretty gruesome you so you should someone not play testament the order of high testament. Human. yeah testament the order of high human i saw someone in chat the asking what game human. you're talking about again so yep. there you go well, testament the order of high human it is a fantasy uh action adventure game um that you know just doesn't has a, has a couple it, it's very ambitious i think probably more ambitious than they had the bandwidth to make good uh, that studio. I don't really know anything about the studio, but I'll just say that what, what they ended up producing is a bunch of bad ideas that they uh, had out for 40 hours. And when taken in totality, 
it's pretty it's it's pretty grating so yeah that's that game which funny enough we got into it back and forth a little bit on twitter not you and i but just a conversation overall because the blog that gave it a nine commented on the team's size that made the game and what you and i pointed out almost immediately because i tagged you in it because i know we've discussed it before is the team size does not matter when it comes to a review should not matter at all uh the quality of the game is the quality of the game uh certainly doesn't person or thousands yeah it certainly doesn't impact the quality of the game (laughs) i think that is a a pretty objective uh conclusion to draw um but i think possibly that reviewer if if they're even a reviewer is uh, you know like a, i mean a professional reviewer i'm not trying right. to insult them uh but like if if they are a professional reviewer is uh they may have fallen prey to like the reviewer guide so for those who don't know sometimes um the developer or publisher will send a, what's called a review guide to uh the people that they give codes for uh and and uh, or codes to and um, the guide usually includes like some helpful tips and some bugs that they know are in the game that are already being like patched out and some other stuff. And sometimes it it allows them to just tell you more about the game. Testament, <clears throat> the Order of High Human, spent a lot of their review guide reminding the reader that they are a 15-person team and that they were really ambitious. And it even included references to the fact that they didn't accomplish what they'd set out to do. So I do not think that the developers are surprised by the reviews they got um, from from like most outlets. Which we often say, right? Developers pl- know yeah. what their game is. They play, I mean, they're very yeah. aware of what they're producing. They, they play their game a lot. And I think um, the game got a certain reaction from people who previewed the game. And it did get preview coverage because of the interest in the trailers. Uh, yeah. My coworker, Liana, is the one who previewed it. And it was a pretty uh, negative preview. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, I think the studio probably knew what they were in for and they just wanted to get their idea out there because they'd worked on it for as long as they did and maybe were eager to move on to another project or what have you. But you can kind of tell the lack of confidence um, from the review guide. And I think possibly, you know, maybe they were trying to generate empathy or maybe they were just being open and honest and it caused a certain reaction by some people who read it and felt that empathy. And I, for the record, I have empathy for small developers that are that have development challenges. It's just you have to set that aside when you're a reviewer because your obligation for a review is to the consumer, to the person making the purchasing decision, and to the consumer it does not matter, and and that's that's the gig. Um, but I, I think so, I think some rookie reviewers probably would uh, fall prey to that that kind of uh, trap and and allow it to impact their the review. And I think it was clear from the review you're referencing that it gave it a nine out of ten because. Yeah. It, includes lots and lots of references to the developer and their situation and i think that's uh that's all good and well but i would not call that a review of the game agree agreed 100 so well interesting man you uh you knocked about another game less than five so hats off to you hopefully uh we will talk shortly here uh, about a far different experience hopefully. i hope so um, i hope the game <laughs> i'm currently reviewing is better Um, I wanted to ask Hogue, or anyone for that matter, if you've played any more Synapse, 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 however you want to pronounce it, Um, because I I didn't get a chance this week. You you, you say Synapse like that, because I've always said Synapse. Yeah, Synapse. Synapse, Synapse. Synapse. It's interesting. I have Um, played more of it, and I had a family in town, and they got a chance to play it, and they said it was one of their favorite VR experiences, and I, I tend to agree. I think it's a kind of killer app type product i think it's really an excellent vr game 
Yeah. Yeah, I need to get back to it. I uh, I just didn't this week. I was tied up with other things. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to diving more into it. But the more I see people play it, the more uh, superlatives seem to be kind of getting thrown around around it, which is great to see. So cool. What else you guys been up to? Game wise. Um, Final Fantasy side quests. Uh, okay. nice. It's probably not a surprise to anyone that's played a Final Fantasy before, but it kind of opens up and gives you a lot of stuff to do right before the end. And the way I tend to play Final Fantasy is I plow right through to the conclusion of the storyline and see the credits, and then I go back and do that kind of end game stuff right before you you finish the game. And that's what I've been doing this week. Uh, and there's a lot more of it than I thought. Like they just dump yeah. quests on you right, right at the, the end. very end. Yeah. And so I've been I've been doing that a lot. They and dump then, a bunch of side quests on you right at the end of the game. Right. Yeah. So you, you basically know in a Final Fantasy when where the button is to say, yeah, let's let's take this home. And right before that, they dump, I don't know, three dozen side quests on you. <laughs> three dozen? Know. There was probably about 15 or 20 at least. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> are they, mean, all are they meaningful? They, I like they, all the sub, sub quests in the game. I mean, I know you've seen that talked about online, but even though the economy in Final Fantasy is pretty much broken, like you don't care about getting the materials, you don't care about opening chests, and that could 100% be improved. The subquests do a good job of continuing to world build and character build when you don't always have the chance to do that in a single character action adventure game. I think they do a good job with that. And if I'm playing Final Fantasy, generally speaking, it's for the lore, it's for the story, it's for the narrative, it's for the music, but it's it's not for the economy or the, or the builds. And I, I don't think they mastered that. I think they could have improved that. I wish they had, but... I've enjoyed the subquest. There's just a ton of them. There's a ton. Okay. Yeah. Dan, you in the same and spot? Some, some of them, some of them, especially towards the end, will start giving you materials to get that last, you know, big weapon that you want. So, That's true. you know, along with, there's also hunts. A lot of those open up to at the very end. Uh, yeah, I'm just putting go out the hunts and, on my list of subquests, but yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. And that's the case. Yeah, he's probably right. Probably about three dozen. <laughs> there's so many. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think they're all good. I mean, I, meaningful. It depends on you know, not towards uh, really accomplishing your end goal, but like as like he said, like world building. It it does a really good job with that. Okay. Um, a lot of fun characters, uh, little stories that you that you know kind of come because you go throughout the game and there's side quests that pop up every once in a while, you know, and then. These this kind of concludes a lot of those a lot of those side quests at the very end pop up, hmm, and there's okay. like you know you open up like a new area uh, right around then too that had uh, quite a few of them that yep. you know. but yeah they were all I mean they're, I want to say they're all good like it, it, the first the first when I first started doing the side quests they were they seemed really really fetchy you know and that, and that's what they all were you at, just don't at, like delivering soup. Oh God! <laughs> you did that twice. <laughs> you twice. did do that twice. Yeah, yeah, twice. You had to like deliver soup at a, a restaurant or whatever that little bar that they have. But that was like really early in the beginning, and it kind—I of, was like, man, this is what it's going to be. This is kind of garbage. But you know, for the further you go on, uh, the more it opens up, the more uh, in depth the side quests become, the more you know the characters kind of open up. So that—that's they did a far better job than I thought they you know originally. The direction they were going at the beginning, I was like, yikes, this is going to be rough. It's very much a game made by the people that made Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. Like, to the extent that I don't even think that you would have known if you hadn't played it, that it really is fourteen made into a single-player game 
with better graphics, but it's got a lot of the sensibilities of 14, including kind of this slow roll build that you put enough words behind characters that you're going to care about them at the end. And I think to the, to some extent they're right, but a lot of the, they are. That's, a lot of the, that's, that's oh, kind yeah, of the, um, I was going to say that's kind of the, uh, the takeaway <clears throat> I got from, um, Oh, why am I forgetting the game? The, the JRPG you still haven't finished. Testament. No. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, that was kind of my impression of Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is that they have a lot of like kind of cliched characters, but they write so much for them that the volume by the end, you're like, I mean, I've been on a journey with you, even if I kind of hate you as a right. character. You're you're my friend. You know what I mean? We're buddies. It's kind of, yeah, no, I, I, feel, I, I feel that way that. about people in real life. Yeah, <laughs> I think they achieved that, and you could tell this is—it's not been my problem. That's too strong for Final Fantasy XIV, but especially without voice in XIV for a lot of the stuff that they do, they write a lot. Like even for simple stuff, which is ultimately going to be—I need some Chocobo feathers or whatever. It's going to be four paragraphs on the current state of the weather, three paragraphs on how they feel about that—the weather and this, their current situation, two paragraphs on what a Chocobo is and why the feathers will help. And then the directive to go get the feathers. Yeah. And it's like, that's going to bother some people, but it's Maybe. well written. And it does give you a feeling towards the end when the side quests that I'm doing are essentially, as Dan says, the culmination of kind of three or four side quests within mm -hmm. a given character peppered throughout the whole entirety of the game. And now you're finishing up what they care about the most that you wind up feeling something for these digital yeah. creations. And I think they do a good job of it. I think, I think those, more. that replaced for me, you know the the lack of that party system, right? The lack of having that interaction with those characters. This is it's I definitely think, what the they intent. Want. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think it achieves it hundred percent. Uh, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, no, no, no. You're right, hundred percent. And and and, but at least it's something there. Like you know, there's there's a couple of them that I remember that, um, you know, they kind of hit a little bit harder. I was like, okay, this is you know that was that was a nice That's way good. to end that, you know, and and I'm glad they did. Um, I think I got them all done as far as I can tell. So how many a hours week. do you guys have into this now? Well, I don't think that their hour timer is great, like on the PlayStation main screen. Sure. So I don't. It's been at sixty-one hours for like three weeks. <laughs> I'm probably close to that. Maybe seventy is probably what I put into a total. Okay, but that was All a right. lot of you know that that was that's completion, like everything done. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm wrapping it up, and I am because you lock in your gains to go into the. Final Fantasy mode, the new game plus. I'm trying yeah. to get all that done before I start <clears throat> that process. Mm -hmm. Get right. the fancy sword with the ridiculously rare metal, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I know we talked a little bit about it last week too, um, but that's good. It seems to be a game that uh, quite a few people enjoyed. Um, you know, I, again, I find myself probably in the minority there, uh, oh, what I've played okay. so far, but I don't think I got far enough to really kind of experience it either. So that's, that's, partly my fault but that's okay i think if you're um, not into it by the time they drop the title i don't know that it's going to win you over because it's another dozen hours before things cook up again yeah i'm i'm like i said i think i'm four or five hours or so past that and uh it just yeah it didn't grab me at all but that's fine no big deal um i mean for god's sakes i'm back i i got back on my uh from software bullshit this week um <laughs> i was watching some videos on elden ring and i was like oh man what game haven't i played in there catalog recently so i loaded up bloodborne i was playing bloodborne for yeah. a little while yesterday and uh I, I don't know i'm right back into it i just you know me i love this game to death so. <laughs> well, i've been i've also been i should say trying to get to 
the end of the campaign in Diablo 4 because I'm okay. told I have to beat that oh, before season, the season 1 starts. Yeah, so you I've do. been yeah. putting time in <clears throat> on Diablo 4. That game is amazing. I love that game. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. And then I popped my head in because I was on the Xbox where I'm playing Diablo. Uh, when Exo Primal came out in the Game Pass, I had no idea uh -huh. what that was other than dinosaurs falling from the sky. <laughs> and I pretty, I pretty quickly popped out when it was apparent that it's a multiplayer competitive cooperative thing. It's PVE slash PVP all in one type of thing. Yeah, it's funny, right? You just mm -hmm. you, you've seen trailers for a game. You don't quite know what it is, but you you have a suspicion that it's something like an Earth Defense Force game. It's That's not. What I yeah it's and then they do like an intro which is clearly a shell for like a live services game where they're showing you like the different suits and you go that seems a lot like overwatch and then you get in and you're like yeah this is an overwatch design and i had no idea at all hmm. yeah yeah it's, i'm it's learning just now that's that, that looks like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> i also I thought like, like oh yeah this is I'm like sorry. earth defense force and it's probably going to be like super campy like pacific rim vibe that's what that's kind of my thinking yeah, I haven't played enough to really speak intelligently on it. I played it in the demo briefly, and then I've obviously seen a bunch of friends trying it out and stuff. I, from what I hear, and anyone in the chat can can correct us here, but it, it's relatively decent from a gameplay perspective, but the PvP kind of ruins it for some people. Um, they really don't like that implementation of it, so I, I don't know. I haven't played it enough to speak to it. but Yeah, no, I, I only went through the tutorial and said, nope, that's not what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, funny enough, Sard uh, Anisms asked me in the chat if I find, and, and Travis, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too, but if you find From Software games relaxing, like can you chill out and play a FromSoft game? And I said actually yes, um, because for me, one of the things I love about those games is the world and how you can just explore the world freely at will uh, and kind of take things at your own pace. So I play those games very methodically. I will go enemy to enemy, kill them one by one, at a at a pace and uh, just explore every inch of the world and to me I, I love that so even though obviously boss battles or certain things can be tough right um and those can get tense uh generally speaking when i'm playing the game i'm i'm chilled they don't they don't stress me out at all yeah i'm the same way i think even if your home country is war-torn it's still home you know i mean you still you still feel some comfort being home you know what i'm saying it's home. It's what you're used to. I get what you're going for, uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will I'm say saying, that the yeah. games, I, I've said this before, that they're too <clears throat> dark for me to enjoy for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, Diablo has that same problem, which is like, this is literally hell on Earth. I, are any of you people happy? Are there any good outcomes for any of you? <laughs> probably why i love it i love dark stuff yeah it's uh it is very surreal to be expected to spend enormous amounts of time in sanctuary the, the literal worst universe that you could exist in like if you were like i want to live in one universe of my choice like that would be probably dead last on my list is like not, nothing good nothing good will ever happen to you if you live there well, I, I don't even know i don't even know how humans have a, a viable population to be honest yeah that's that's if, if i was going to criticize anything from a narrative perspective in diablo 4 is that i don't think they do a great job of establishing what lilith means to this world like you already are dealing with monsters around the fences and things but you don't you haven't established the break of like how much worse is this than you yeah it's, yeah they they left it the sad thing is they left it out of ambiguous the game itself it's in no yeah. it's in the lore videos leading up to the game 
they talk in detail about how many humans have been killed, where the humans come from, what Lilith and Nanarius, their background, and it's all in those lore videos that Blizzard published, but it's one of those situations, which we, we've talked about, Halo does that too, right? Where there's all this extensive lore and background and things that they don't do the best job of portraying directly within the gameplay experience. So if you're not familiar with all those extra kind of, um, you know, additional things outside of the game itself, you kind of lose it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Because you're just there when all the action starts, which is good. That's where you generally want to start a story. But there isn't this kind of notion of, well, now we have more problems than we used to. <clears throat> Everybody seems to be in huts, unhappy. And yeah, I want to save the world. But is the world worth saving in Diablo? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, why don't we jump over to uh, Remnant 2 before we get to these Super Chats, because then we'll obviously jump over to uh, the the big uh, the big topics we're going to talk about. By the way, before I do that, nearly 600 people in the uh, watching us live right now across both channels. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we are getting to the bigger topics, but as always, uh, I, I joke that I suck at this. I need Hogue to be the promoter because he does it much better than I do. But if you're enjoying what you uh, like here, if you're enjoying the conversations, help us out. You know what to do. We don't have to recite everything, but uh, we just appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing it out. So thank you. All right, Travis, We uh, <clears throat> so I know uh, you have been playing Remnant 2. We can't talk fully. The review embargo mm -hmm. is obviously not up, but we can talk a few early impressions. Uh, I'm yes. not reviewing it personally. Elu, who's in the chat, is reviewing it for Season Gaming, but I know that you have completed it. Mm -hmm. um, I've completed ahead. my review, in fact. I was going to say that. your review, and you also yeah. did the preview for IGN a couple months ago. Uh, I did IGN first, so yeah, I, I went to Gunfire Games' studio in Austin, Texas, and hung out with their team for a while. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've got, uh, I can't give a full review, but I can give early impressions, which I'm told is, you know, maybe the first couple hours of what I experienced and that sort of stuff, um, and kind of give you an idea of, of what the game is like. Um, so far, kind of the early, the early stuff uh, that I'm allowed to talk about is that it is... Uh, one of those games that immediately feels like a sequel, you know, like uh, Assassin's Creed 2 or Borderlands 2, where you get in there and you're like, OK, I get it. So that first game that they made, which was kind of a, a very enjoyable first draft, this is what that game looks like when they have had time to like really develop the concept and respond to the feedback on the first game and probably have a bigger budget and a bigger team behind it to, to fully realize some of their ideas. And that ends up being uh, quite uh, quite a good first couple of hours, um, which I'm, I'm putting it that way because I'm trying to limit it to the first couple of hours in case you couldn't, you couldn't tell. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, Remnant is a uh, looter shooter Souls-like um, that sort of uh, puts you into, uh, it's, it's kind of like an Outriders type of game if you played that where you're uh, running around third person action, you've got a gun, you've got some some abilities and that sort of stuff. Um, and also you can play with, with a group if you want or by yourself. Um, and kind of the premise is that you are an interdimensional multiverse traveler who goes to different realms and you're trying to stop a great disaster, a, uh, a race of evil trees that is trying to take over the multiverse. Um, and uh, this... Lead <laughs> that is the, it's that not is wrong. The that description is not wrong, right? <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it, it's it's handled a little less glibly 
it is handled a little less glibly and also i believe the root if you play the first one is supposed to be a metaphor for a computer code like maybe we're living in the matrix and the root code if for those who follow uh, or those who are technically minded um i think there's some sort of matrix like uh, a parallel there um but uh yeah ba basically they're evil trees who are trying to take over the multiverse and the way that this becomes interesting to the player is that you get to travel to different realms that have completely different vibes so uh, in the first game, you go to, um, you know, a, a you, s you start off in like a post-apocalyptic earth and then you go to like a place called Yesha that has got like a jungle vibe and that sort of stuff. And you, you kind of just uh, jet set around uh, the multiverse and, and get to biomes uh, are fun, kids. Biomes are fun. Yeah, because they make the game feel very <laughs> different. Um, the first the second one ups this tremendously. Uh, in fact, the opening hours of the game are some of the most exciting because after you complete the tutorial the first realm that you are teleported to is random there are three different possibilities and of those three possibilities there are uh, two different storylines in each of the three realms and so you know the first couple hours of the game you could tell your friend you know i'm on a sci-fi planet fighting robots and i'm trying to figure find this these cores to restart a computer and somebody else could be like what i'm playing bloodborne I'm in a fantasy world with elves <laughs> walking down a British street and you know fighting chimney sweeping fools. And uh, there's just all why the like, British got to be chimney sweepers. What's wrong? I with mean, you? have you if you saw them, you'd be like, yeah, they they sweep some chimneys. Uh, <laughs> at the very least, they dabble in some chimney sweeping. These guys, you know, the bowler hats, the snaggletooth. You get the idea. Hey, um, hey. So no, I'm talking about the enemy. The enemy's in the game. I'm not a talking I know, about I'm you kidding. personally, yeah. although you fit the bill. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's really interesting. Like it's a very uh, kind of interesting water cooler game where you could talk to your friend. And even if you got the same world, which myself and Mark Medina, we ended up in the same world. We were fighting different bosses and stuff. So he'd be like, have you fought yeah, this guy? And I'd be like, I don't know who you're talking about. What's that? That's awesome. That's one of the, the coolest parts of the original Remnant is that yeah. you had all these kind of splits. Yep. And I would say the second one doubles down on that in a major way. Like it, it, it's, it's so different that even if you end up in the same world, you could be doing a completely different storyline with different characters. And then the final boss fight in that world is also completely different. And uh, the way that another reason that that is cool for the player is that you can re-roll any world you have completed the storyline on to see what else is out there to play the other version of the storyline because each uh, world has two main ones and to get some of the side quests that didn't roll in your world and that, you know, it's, it's procedurally generated. So you kind of end up with like a hodgepodge of, of random stuff in your playthrough um and uh yeah it it uh the opening hours leave a very strong impression um it is very fun to play there are a surprising number of secrets to discover uh one of the things that happened to me Love in it. the opening hours of the game is i ended up in an indiana jones like temple complete with leap of faith and uh penitent man must yield type uh trials i had to go through um and uh there's just there's just cool stuff like that they throw in the game that secrets that you wouldn't have found uh puzzles that are surprisingly challenging um and other stuff like that and so um yeah i i mean it it, it has been a, a, a very interesting game to review yeah I, I will say that elu like i said he's reviewing it for us and is in our chat on the sg side here um he sent me a list of kind of things about it to talk about, but you pretty much echoed everything you just said. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, from a first to second game perspective, this feels more fully realized. The The shooting is tighter. The character development is stronger. Character building, I should say, more nuanced, he said, and personable. 
uh, level design is amazing and so much randomization. So everything you pretty much just commented on. So um, yeah, there's a few people in the chat asking about uh, a couple questions I saw in the chat. One, is it coming sure, sure. to Game Pass? No, it's not. It is not a it's, Game Pass game. Uh, not um, yet. I mean, the the devs' sure. goal is to bring it to as many people as they can. And I think they know that it, it popped off on Game Pass, but I, I don't. It's not yeah, you're breaking up a little bit, Travis. I don't know if that's just okay. for me. He's going um, through a tunnel, yeah. Apologies. Okay. Apologies. Um, but um, yes, not on launch anyway, not on Game Pass. Um, do you have, what would you say to this, Travis? Do you have to have played the first game to enjoy the second game? Definitely not. Uh, I, I would consider that is yes, but. What's that? I said, I can't imagine the answer to that is yes, having played yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That is not not true at all. It, and in fact, the sequel is sort of a soft reboot. They reintroduce you to all the characters from the first game. They put you back in the Word 13 in different shoes. But yeah, it, it is definitely a hard no on that one. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think you'll be missing out on much, much context. Okay. It releases uh, July 25th. Um, there is, uh, uh I would like to the... correct that it releases on the Can 21st. You let me finish my sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even let me finish my sentence. July I mean, 25th, just... unless to your point, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word you love so much on July 21st, it releases in early access. If you buy the See, ultimate, edition. this is why I interrupted you because you saying it, re- <laughs> it's being released on the 25th is false. It is being released on the 21st and they are lying about that and trying to get you to pay more money. So yes. yeah, it, but yeah, it's on the 21st. And then I also saw somebody asked when the review drops, the review drops at 7 a.m. Pacific on uh, July 20th, which is the day before the game comes out Thursday uh, on the 21st. So that's on Thursday yep. morning. Uh, my review is written and now I just got to go through, you know, video editing and that sort of stuff. And we'll have it on IGN.com right when embargo drops. I don't know if Ains is going to get there because yes. I know you guys got the review late. Um, awesome. Great. Yeah, um, we'll hit embargo. And by the way, the game is $49.99. Um, so it hmm. is, uh, you know, it's not a $70 game either. So from uh, the early impressions you guys are giving, um, hopefully the game continues, you know, that level of quality and interest uh, through the entire experience. And that sounds like it could be a big winner. It is uh, current gen only. So PC, PS5, Xbox series x and s just by the way in case you were wondering yep uh somebody also unrelated <laughs> asked me if i'm reviewing my friendly neighborhood i'm not i did a preview of it uh, i played the first couple hours and enjoyed it um i'm not sure if ign is doing a review on that one um it it really just depends on how much interest things like the trailer and the preview that i did uh generate like if people if people care about the games we'll try to review them but i'm, I'm not sure about that one that july 21st is a hell of a day that's that's Oppenheimer, Barbie, Pikmin. Yeah, it's a big day. Pre-access for Oppenheimer. Oh, I'm excited. Remnant I, two. I, uh, and then uh, doesn't Immortals of Avium come out like a few days later as well? It got pushed, right? So it's not in. Oh, July did it get anymore. pushed? Am I forgetting? Okay. Yeah, Immortals got pushed, but I don't remember to where. September, Sorry, Immortals. Maybe. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But that's probably good given what we're talking about here. So. Well, cool. Excited. So obviously look for uh, reviews, Travis's review and Elu's review this week. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week when we can talk about it fully. So. That sounds awesome. Excited to talk about like it fully. Time splitters vibes from Travis's description. I love this stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to be able to talk about more. I have a ton more to say and I'm, I'm um, yeah, I stayed up all night where I, <laughs> writing the review. So I'm just, you know, it's on the brain. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, let's get to Super Chats before we jump over to uh, Microsoft and the FTC. Some of the Super Chats are relating to that. 
Yeah, business news. So I will, uh, I'll save the super chats relating to that for the conversation, but let's get to the other ones now. Googleman coming in before the show, as always, with his weekly five dollars <laughs> chat. Yeah, the randomness. I love Googleman. Uh, <laughs> five euros. Space, yeah, five euros. Yeah. Uh, the Space Emperor in Foundation Season Two, Episode One, is very yellow. He is very yellow. You're right. That's All just right. Lee Pace. That's how he looks. Yeah, it's, it's a bronzer <laughs> or a high tech nano mesh. We'll never know. Uh, Marutai Ramen Bonsai. All right, that was that's it. Yeah. Fair enough, Googleman. Fair enough. Thank you, sir. The tree Always or the attack plan? I have questions about the last statement. All right. Anyway, good. <laughs> uh, let me see. I've got a couple here. Da, 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 da. Here you go. Gecko Gamer in the Gecko. house. I traded my Xbox Series S. Oh, sorry. The six uh, euros uh, Series S for a PS4 Pro. And I'm wondering which game should I get? I already have uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Uncharted Trilogy, Horizon Zero Dawn. Dawn. Man, so uh, you know, trade interesting trade, yes, seems like a lateral move at best. (laughs) Well, if you don't have a PS4 or PS5, then it might if you've never played any of the games, too. Yeah, a lot there's good ones to play. So, I obviously, God of War, I think, goes without saying 2018, and then um, Spragman Rock, you're gonna play those. There's Ghost of Tsushima, which a lot of people love. uh, I love it when he doesn't like something. He's like, yeah. you know, this like is a game. Some people like it. Like. A lot of people, a lot of people like love it. it. I mean, yeah, I yeah, liked Ghost of Tsushima. I didn't. I, I'd actually take Spider Man's before those, but yeah, Spider Man. Yeah, Spider-Man. those two. Yeah. Sure. So I think uh, honestly, what I would recommend Gecko is PlayStation has done a good job with the PS Plus collection. I know some of that went away recently, but if you look at uh, even subscribing for a month or two or a couple three month period, you could probably get through most of their big first party stuff and really have a good time for hardly any money. So I would yeah. I would look into that. So Gecko, thank you as always. Uh, Butterball, oh, Butterball, five dollars super chat. Keep up the good work. Uh, Cheers from KC. Cheers oh, from Kansas City. Let's go, Butterball. <laughs> You're talking Dan and I's language here. Yeah. You're local. Good to hear it. Thanks for yeah. uh, tuning in today. Um, right appreciate you. And a profile picture of butter. I love it. Of, yeah. uh, or is that cheese? Is that cheese or butter? I can't tell. But I don't know. I thought it was cheese. butter. <laughs> it could be butter. I was giving credit. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Absolutely. And a uh, $2 super check from Buck. Buck. Uh, supporting the show. Thank you, Just Buck. supporting the show. Appreciate Thank you. you very much, Buck. Appreciate it. The other three Super Chats we're holding right now are related to this conversation that we'll get into. So I'll pull those up uh, when it's time. But of course, the big news this week and uh, been covered kind of all over the place, uh, but covered best, of course, by uh, Mr. Hoke here on Virtual mm-hmm. Legality. Uh, so I'll set, I'll set up the T here and you can kind of kick us off, uh, Hoke. But uh, essentially, uh, everyone knows that FTC uh, lost its case to f- get the injunction against Microsoft to stop them from uh, um, finishing on the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. There was an appeal process which went to the Ninth Circuit Court, which was also denied uh, on the injunction as of Friday, I believe. Circuit. That happened. It's over here. Are you cheering Sorry. for your court circuit? Travis? I am cheering for my court circuit. I'm, I'm proud of the Ninth Circuit. I don't have to tell you. It's, it's, woo, you know, if it. there's anything local to Travis, he's cheering it on. Uh, I mean, except for Scoop Bagels. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot I don't like, but come on, Ninth Circuit. They're goaded. They're in the news all the time. <laughs> you know, the Ninth Circuit is the most overturned circuit in the Supreme Court's history. It's true. It's true. Bring it on. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, count, I don't count that as a negative. Let's go. So I think, uh, you know, obviously the focus moved back to, to CMA at that point. Brad Smith put out a, a formal statement on Friday, I believe, as well after the appeal was denied around next steps there. And so I think the big question, Hogue, is, uh, you know, that a lot of the audience is asking who may not be as well versed on these things is, OK, so. It looks like they are set to move forward uh, from a United States perspective. Where does the CMA's kind of hold play into this and what does it mean from the overall picture? Yeah. So let's take a step backwards just real quickly, because I think this all relates to the actual injunction denial. So the FTC brings its case against Microsoft, trying to hold the deal back, saying that if the deal is allowed, it will violate American antitrust law, that it will substantially lessen competition in various markets. They lose on that because, frankly, they presented an awful case. Uh, <laughs> and the judge has a 53-page opinion about why that case was awful, including an absolute evisceration of an economist that we haven't seen since all the way back in Epic versus Apple, where the judge hated all the economists. But um, um, after that denial, they appeal it. Ninth Circuit takes a quick look at the emergency request, says, nah, you don't get this emergency request. <laughs> that appeal is technically still on the books. They didn't deny everything, so there's still an, a, an appeal motion pending, but you can't really appeal for a successful preliminary injunction after the thing that you're trying to enjoin has happened, so it doesn't matter much. And the FTC is prohibited from preventing the deal from being consummated now and into the foreseeable future. Now, the actual agreement has an outdate, a termination date of July 18th, so the expectation is that Microsoft and Activision are hustling to potentially try to get the deal done, I would say, as early as tomorrow. Yeah. Right. But that CMA question that started this all off is the important one, which is that the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority of the United Kingdom, found that the deal would hurt competition in the cloud market and blocked the deal. They said you can't have this deal and still operate in the United Kingdom. Now, importantly, although the CMA says they blocked it worldwide, folks... As important as these regulatory bodies are, as important as the government of whatever country you might find yourself is, it does not control all behavior around the world. And so even though the CMA says that they're blocking it worldwide, what they mean is if you actually go and put these two companies together, we're going to have real problems with you selling things into our jurisdiction, the United Kingdom. And so with the FTC not prohibited from blocking anymore after its failures in court, what you've got is a situation where Microsoft can spend near $70 billion, buy the shares from the Activision shareholders and own Activision, but it couldn't operate in the United Kingdom without either a settlement with the CMA or at least some kind of understanding. And so what's really important about everything that happened this last week is not just that they beat the FTC. That's obviously important because if they lost, all of this would be falling apart. But at the same day, they agreed with the CMA to stop their appeals process. And why is that important? It's important because unless Microsoft is insane or you believe Microsoft is insane, which I think is unwise, you wouldn't stop your appeals process unless you think that there's some possibility for a positive settlement with this regulatory agency that is otherwise stopping you from doing what you want to do. So that is strongly suggestive of at least a belief on the Microsoft side of things that there is some kind of change they can make to the deal that the CMA will allow and that the CMA will then rescind its opposition to their transaction overall. Now, once Microsoft leaked that out to CNBC the same day, which is that CNBC comes out with this news report that says 
we're hearing that a small divestiture might be happening and that the CMA will go for it. And it's like, well, that that's really only a Microsoft leak. When you watch these things, you can try to figure out where the yeah. news is coming from. That's really only a leak from Microsoft. The CMA immediately responds to, I think, Tom Warren at The Verge the next morning and says, oh, that's well and good. We haven't agreed to anything. And if they change the structure of the deal, we'd have to re-review it. And it's like, well, yeah, all that's true. Nobody is lying about any of this stuff, but the reports are getting a little bit fast on what's happening and what's likely to happen. So what we think from the outside looking in is happening in the United Kingdom is that Microsoft has expressed a willingness to do something structurally for the CMA, who has blocked this on cloud market grounds, which is strongly suggestive of the Microsoft agreeing to get rid of some of its cloud capability, specifically in the United Kingdom rather than around the world, and that the UK would go for it. Now, Microsoft is guessing on that. That's why this is happening. Microsoft thinks that they can pause and this will all work out. But when people ask me the question, can they close over the CMA? The answer is yes, they could just close this deal and figure it out later, but they're not likely to figure it out in a vacuum. You're not likely to just say, we close, sorry, CMA. We'll figure out fines and things later. Instead, they're in constant talks, they're in conversations. And what I would expect will happen is that Microsoft will try to close this this week and will have some kind of what I would usually consider a memorandum of understanding or a letter of intent with the CMA that says, look, you've got our structural deal in front of you. You have a feeling for whether this is going to be okay or not. We know that for your government and statutory reasons, you have to evaluate it with your commission and all these other things. We're not holding you to anything right now, but let us close. Don't fine us. And if you wind up needing more changes, we'll make them in good faith. Or if this is winds up being accepted by you, you won't retroactively try to fine us for whatever the interregnum period is between when we close this deal and when you finally agree that any structural changes we've proposed are acceptable. So you can generally, if everybody's being reasonable, talk and have letter agreements and say, okay, we'll suspend any problems right now because we agree that we're probably close, but we still have to go through some math on our side. And I suspect that'll happen. But the CMA has also, just like the FTC, proven to be a bit of a thorn in Microsoft's side on this and done things that are a little bit unexpected, right? I never would have expected them to even try to block the deal based on cloud markets uh, right. in, in, the, in the middle period. And so Microsoft has to be at least a little skittish about working with an agency that has done things like that, has gone so far down the console road that even when they rescind it because all their math was wrong, they still hit you on cloud markets. And so I, they might delay. You're seeing certain reports that Microsoft and Activision might extend the date in their agreement. And that's always been the case as a possibility for the agreement. It's one of the reasons why when you hear people say, well, that July 18th date is so important. It's like, yes, it is important because Microsoft technically owes $3 billion to Activision if the deal doesn't go through and Activision just decides to hold them to the current transaction. But more likely, both sides would agree to an extension if it came down to it. Neither side really wants that because Activision wants its money and Microsoft wants the, the assets. But if the CMA won't give the kind of comfort that Microsoft needs uh, that they're close enough on this, Microsoft and Activision would extend probably for 30 days. Generally speaking, if, if I were in the room on this and, and somebody were asking me to do an amendment, the recommendation would be 30 days. So that's what I would amend to. July 18th becomes August 18th. I know that's not 30 days necessarily because of the length of July, but that's, that's sure. how we think about these things. Yeah. And so that's what I would expect to happen if this doesn't close on Monday or even Tuesday. Oh, that was uh, bravo, sir. That was a fantastic breakdown of, of the details. Um, 
So appreciate that. A lot of people in the chat saying, you know, you make it very easy to understand these kind of complex situations. So thank you for that. Um, I tried. So, <laughs> so um, that, that was going to be the next question. I saw a couple of people in chat asking about that. So what you're saying at the tail end there is it's very possible that if we don't see this closed by Tuesday, which is the current date, right, the 18th, as we're talking here today, you may be listening to this after, but there can be an extension uh, which will take it out a certain number of days uh, where they will continue to try and work with the CMA to alleviate any concerns the CMA has and therefore close fully on the deal without any uh, kind of additional, well, we don't really know what would come of that, but additional kind of concerns from the uh, UK side. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the deal or if you look at any other deal that you can see, the SEC keeps all public company deals available for you to check out if you're so inclined and you just need a nap. You can check out these contracts. And what happens is Microsoft isn't obliged to buy the company until it would be clean, right? Until there aren't regulatory issues, until it's happy with its due diligence. But if Microsoft doesn't buy the company by July 18th, they owe a breakup fee to Activision. And so both sides want to get it done. But in any contract, the sides to the contract can always agree to change the terms. That's the way this works, right? You agreed in the first instance, you can always agree to change what you agreed to. And so unlike a law, unlike a statute, you can say, yeah, our outdate is July 18th, but we can sign up an amendment. It's actually pretty quick and say, okay, now it's August 18th. Where you once read July, now read August. And it's actually, it doesn't take a lot of lawyer's fees, certainly compared to the lawyer's fees everybody's spent already in the last 18 months. And it's not the biggest deal in the world. So that could definitely happen. But they'd all prefer to have it done this week. Of so course. would we. So would we. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be the end of it, right? Even if, they, <laughs> even if they officially close, I mean, the FTC is saying they're going to continue to challenge it. There's going to be other stuff, right? Like, Well, okay. So what's going to happen on the FTC side of things is now that they've <laughs> lost their preliminary injunction and their emergency request, under the rules of federal regulations, the parties that have been opposed by the FTC can go request that it be dismissed. Now you're requesting that of the FTC, but basically you go and you say, look, your job is to hold for the public interest. All these federal courts have found that you're not in the public interest. Dismiss this because your opposition is not in the public interest. And for the most part, historically, the FTC has. You saw that most recently, they dismissed the Meta case after Meta says, hey, you lost your injunction request. Get out of here. And the FTC removed it. Now the FTC is in a little bit more of the public eye on this deal than with mm -hmm. Meta. So you might see stubbornness. You might see them just say, no, no, we're going through with this administrative action in August. But historically, what you would usually see here is Microsoft asks to have it dismissed and the FTC says, yeah, we're dismissing it. So the FTC okay. is mostly dead. The FTC is like Princess Bride, mostly dead, like <laughs> lying on the bed, unable to move. For the pain. Alive. For the, to the pain. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's Lena Khan saying to the pain. Yes, indeed. Pain. So we'll see. Pain. We'll see, but I would expect it to be dismissed. You will keep your ears. Sorry, I literally referenced that movie in my review. Yeah. Testament, actually. Testament. So, yeah, yeah. Anytime you can it's reference cool. that movie is a good day, so it's fine. It works. <clears throat> That's good. Um, Continue. <laughs> so we've got a, a couple super chats that we can uh, talk about relating to the deal. Right. Now let's knock these out. I don't think any, anything we haven't answered, but anyway, 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, RC Polygons with $5 super chat. Uh, Jim finally signed the Call of Duty contract that should have been signed since day one. <laughs> Jim Ryan did the right thing and signed the contract. Yeah. So, yeah. as we yeah, mentioned at the start of this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we mentioned at the start of this, just before the show, Phil Spencer, now I don't know if we have any details yet as we've been talking, but Phil Spencer tweeted that they have uh, Microsoft and PlayStation have come to an agreement to keep. Uh, Call of Duty on PlayStation into the future. That's all he said. It's very vague, but you know, I guess we'll see what comes of that. But that's that happened an hour ago or an hour and a half ago. Um, right. Well, it is vague, but I, I wouldn't recommend tweeting out your deal terms. So it, I think it's yep. good. It's good vague. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so know, thank you. R- RC characters for legalese. You know, you know, into it. <laughs> they're not. They're, you, not, they're not very uh, frugal with their character count on uh, legal documents. I've, I've found no doubt. Uh, appreciate the super chat. We've got AI democracy with uh, Last Chance Sony will refuse COD or ABK games. I think we just answered that one, right? So I think- AI democracy, terrifying phrase. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dan. I just went ahead and read it because we were just talking about this. Uh, Four ninety nine super chat from AI democracy. Um, yeah. So I think we just answered that. Uh, I think Sony. You know, we we've talked. All of us in this space have talked about how big and important Call of Duty is. It's not everything about this deal but it is obviously a big piece of the deal so uh it's very clear that playstation knows how important call of duty is to its platform so uh it seems like that has you know they've come to terms on that piece at least <clears throat> thank you for the money super always chat. wins folks i saw your tweet days, about that hoke yeah, yeah it was like the last yes. couple of days you might have seen well maybe jim ryan will pull call of duty from sony it's like not if he doesn't want to get sued yeah. for violation of his fiduciary duties yeah, uh be crazy. remember management board of directors they are not the bosses of the company. The shareholders are the bosses. They own the company. Those folks that have the names that you know in the in the news and otherwise, they are fiduciaries of other people's money. And they can't just do what they like. It's not their own personal fiefdom. So Jim Ryan could hate Phil Spencer and want to see him dead. If it makes his company hundreds of millions of dollars, he better come to the table. Unless the shareholders are the CEO of the company, which is sometimes true. <laughs> or or in you know activision's case all of the best friends of the ceo you know well i mean in a publicly traded company you're going to have a broad group of investors of all kinds in a closely traded company you might have control within your friends group you still have a duty to the investors regardless mm-hmm. of whether they're your friends or not it's still not your money that is this pool of money that you're making things with yeah. that's true fair enough true. <clears throat> and then doovy two dollar super chat yeah, thoughts on Phil not saying 10-year contract. I really don't think it was terms in that tweet. I expected yep. it'll look a lot like the deal that they rejected earlier because Microsoft right now, especially with the CMA sitting out there and circling like Jaws, isn't in the position <laughs> to go and play hardball with these negotiations. So they wanted to have this tweet go out there before the CMA's meeting tomorrow. There is a management meeting of the appeals tribunal tomorrow that is somewhat important towards the process in the United Kingdom. And they wanted this out there and they don't want Sony to turn around and be able to say, yeah, they they really bent us over something in order to get this done on Sunday because Microsoft is continuing to try to look like the good guys and defenders of corporate America. in The, the reverse pufferfish, as I think we settled on before, right? <laughs> the, the, the reverse pufferfish act that they're doing. Poor old Microsoft. Yeah. No, how, however, will we survive Microsoft? I, yeah, how will we yeah. survive and look They're at all just the good we're by. doing? 
Mm-hmm. Well, and you can yeah. definitely see that all the way from January. But buddy, buddy, could you spare $69 billion? <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting cardboard sign to read. Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that on the street, honestly. It's, it's yeah. weird. It's yeah. weird. Uh, Doovie, thank you for the super chat. Appreciate you. Um, so I think we caught up on everything there. So anything else uh, commentary on this specifically? Um, I think you covered kind of what's next well, Hoag. So uh, any other commentary on this piece? Only I mean, that could, the deal is I going through. Him. Like if it if it isn't clear, the CMA is out there, but the pause isn't just strongly suggestive that Microsoft thinks they're close. It's strongly suggestive that the CMA is not going to be the last bulwark to stop the deal. There is not political will for them to just be the only ones that are going to scuttle this seventy billion dollar right deal. And so I, the deal I think is going through. I suspect it's going through like tomorrow. But if it doesn't, it's going through in the next month or so. Yeah, I, I tend to think the CMA was sort of uh, blocking the deal with with you know pro- over over general genuinely felt concerns, but I think with the hope that there would be sort of a anti acquisition alliance forming across multiple countries, and I think as soon as the domino of the United States fell, being the biggest market for Xbox, uh, they were just like, all right, well, jigs up. We have no uh, alliance. You know, the, the, the anti-Activision merger NATO just collapsed. So that's that's the end of that. I, I kind of think that that was their approach as well. So FTC decision is a interesting domino to yeah. fall. It's possible. I, I don't. I, I will never tell you that I can read their minds in any different direction. I, I don't think that cloud is a separate market. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're just evil and are making up things in order to stop. The Microsoft deal. They can think that it's an important market. It's just not going to be the kind of thing that's going to win in American antitrust law. And even if they have a stronger protection in the UK, it still looks like they're acting arbitrarily, which is a problem even for them when they put their document together and it's 90% console, which is what the FTC was focused on. Yep. And then they just dump it for, oh, and cloud's a problem too. It's like, well, it's not very convincing. Yeah. Fair enough. What do you say to the people who um, are picking apart, and some of whom are lawyers, and I assume know at least something about the law, um, who are picking apart Judge Corley's decision for doing things like um, setting a higher barrier than than some people think that the, she ought in terms of uh, what what would what would grant an injunction, and doing things like referencing the three billion dollar fee that probably shouldn't have been considered since it was a self-inflicted and as you p- pointed out earlier, easily changeable uh, uh, fee uh, on, on their part. Um, what, what do you say to, to people who are, are criticizing that stuff? Well, I did talk about it in my second video this last week about you saw a Reuters article that had a couple of professors talk about the word may appearing in the Clayton Act, which is to say that you're not allowed to acquire something which has an effect which may be substantially to lessen competition. And and Judge Corley asked at this preliminary injunction stage for the FTC to have proved that it will probably substantially lessen competition. And the answer to that is that even those legal scholars, despite giving quotes to things like Reuters, understand that the antitrust laws written more than 100 years ago have been interpreted for 100 years of precedent as not being what they say. That's not ideal. That's not what I would have the law do. But both the Sherman Act, which which says that contracts in restraint of trade are illegal, and the Clayton Act, which is what we're looking at right now, which says that it's illegal if your deal may substantially lessen competition or may lessen competition substantially, 
those words can't be read at the breadth of we might read them in English because then every possible contract or transaction could be blocked because it's illegal because may is huge. You may be hit by an asteroid on the way to work tomorrow. It's, it's <laughs> unlikely, but it's huge. May is not the standard. And in fact, we've got sentences in the precedent, which I call out in my video and on Twitter and elsewise that say, we can't read it as may literally. It can't be literal. It has to mean a likelihood of eventuality. And that's, that's the reality there. Judge Corley has some things in there that I think you can argue. And I think the FTC did argue a couple of them well. But, but, it's all harmless error if it doesn't change the outcome of the case. And ultimately, in deciding to grant or deny a preliminary injunction, that is a discretionary act of the district court. And a court of appeals has to find not only that the legal standard was wrong, but that it was so wrong that if it were done rightly, the court would have had to have found that the other direction, or it has to remand back to the court, which I think was what the FTC was aimed at, right? If it gets remanded, yep. it's going to take a little extra time, and then we're going to fly past the July 18th date. But the FTC also found itself in trouble because they brought their administrative action at the end of last year, right? And they could have sued for an injunction at that point in time. That's what they usually do. The FTC usually goes and asks for an injunction and files their administrative action at the same time so they can stop the deal. They decided to wait on that. And the reason they decided to wait on that, at least as it appears to me, and as I said in my video from late last year, was that they knew that they didn't have a leg to stand on in federal court. The FTC doesn't get to write the laws. Congress wrote the laws. Congress gave the power to the FTC. Congress gave the power to the Department of Justice. And then they're supposed to go and bring cases when they think the laws are violated. But what the current FTC is doing is trying to advance a broader understanding of the antitrust laws that are currently on the books, then the courts have accepted for 100 years. And that's why you see when Lena Khan is questioned in front of the House Judiciary Committee, why are you 0 and 4 in merger cases? It's like, well, we bring cases where we think there's been Ill illegality, right? But it's not just the FTC that gets to decide where, FT where illegality is. You're supposed to, if you're being a good fiduciary of, in this case, the taxpayer's money, you're supposed to understand the precedents in front of you as a lawyer and say, well, this is a case that really bugs me. I really wish Microsoft couldn't buy Activision, but we look at all these things around the deal, a court that's going to be evaluating this is going to say, no, that's not an antitrust concern. And maybe the antitrust laws need to be changed. You can advocate for that. You can run for Congress. You can do whatever you like, but you can't just enforce the laws you wished exist in the way that you wish they were read to a different part of the government. And that's where the FTC is running into trouble. Well said, well said sir. Yeah, very well said. Hmm. All right. Well, I think, uh, like I said, um, Obviously, I think you gave a really nice breakdown just now, uh, Hogue, but uh, Hogue did get back, as we said at the top of the show, on his virtual legality series where he breaks these things down even further and in more detail. So if you enjoy the details, if you want to know more about the specifics, be sure to check out his channel and his videos from this week. It's uh, great to see you back at it, Hogue. Seriously. Love it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly trying. I'm so-so about it. <laughs> jury is one. out yeah. <laughs> by the way hungry hungry uh by the way nearly 800 concurrent hanging out with us right now absolutely amazing to see in fact i don't think we've hit too many people <laughs> i don't Maybe. think we've hit that many since hogue you surprised us when you came back after your stroke uh, and joined us mid-show, which, you know, when everyone kind of went nuts, which was a, a still one of my favorite moments of recent times. Yeah. Um, 
See what Ains is that doing? one's so hard for me to watch because I'm so slow. <laughs> well, I mean, you had a stroke, dude. I, yeah, I, I mean, it, kind of a minor <laughs> thing happened, you know? It was something there. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for hanging out with us. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, funny enough, one other big kind of lawsuit that uh, almost got overshadowed. I think the FTC stuff overshadowed almost everything this week uh, in the gaming news, that is. But a big lawsuit, uh, generally speaking, involving Bungie this week. Yes. Uh, and this was sent to us by Mad Geek, by the way. So shout out to Mad Geek. He he responds to us and sends us some interesting topics here and there that he'd like to hear us talk about. But uh, obviously with Hogue, obviously with um, Travis being very close to Destiny and Bungie community, I thought I'd call this out that if you didn't see this, essentially what happened uh, and feel guys feel free to, you know, go into detail here if you want to. But a defendant named Jesse James Comer was uh, apparently incensed. I'm going off the quotes from an article here. When a community manager, I think this is a year or two ago, both Bungie and the court declined to name, of course, um, spotlighted some fan art by a black community member. Uh, using anonymous phone numbers, Comer left a string of hideous, bigoted voicemails on the community manager's personal phone, uh, asking that Bungie create options in Destiny 2, which I don't even feel comfortable saying this, but this is from the case. Um, created options in Destiny 2 in which only persons of color would be killed and then proceeded to threaten the community manager's wife with racist voicemails and texts. Bungie followed this through, obviously took this person to court and won this week. And the, uh, the decision is that the person, the defendant, has to pay nearly $500,000 in damages. But what they're most excited about is that this uh, the lawyers spoke on this, hoping that this will begin to set a precedent for dealing with online harassment and in that space, because generally speaking, that's been a very tough thing to combat um, legally, at least to this point. So uh, I think I summarized the, the, the best of my ability there. Uh, any commentary on this, but I did feel this was important to call out and a big, big win for both Bungie and I think developers you know anyone who faces online harassment uh this was uh, mm -hmm. an important case yeah there's a couple of things here if i understand it correctly one of which is this is a default judgment um which is essentially that the defendant didn't show up or present a case which is fine it's fine to have a default judgment but what i will warn people about is if you love this in general the court the judiciary hates a default Right, we don't like to just award people things for, because the other side didn't show. Because the other side get, didn't get to argue their case. Because right? if it's not precedent, if he ever shows or decides to present a case on some reasonable timeline here, chances are the court's going to rescind all this and allow them to present their case. Now, we don't know whether that'll happen or not, and this person appears to be just heading to the fields and, and isn't going to do that. But I do want to point that out because that is different from the court finding after hearing both sides X, Y, and Z, right? This is Bungie presented its case. This guy fled and the court said, okay, Bungie, you win. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say about this, that is at least presenting as, as put forward in the Twitter thread that I saw and some of the documents that I saw, some concern for me is that what Bungie's really excited about is that they won a piece of the damages as damaging them as a company for personal harassment of their of their individual and that's that's significantly broader than we usually see for harassment claims and i would have questions not in this particular case right this is abhorrent this is abhorrent this is what we usually say in law school bad facts make bad law like mm -hmm. it's easy to say this guy deserves to get 
punished and Bungie deserves to win and all these things. That's very easy to say, but it can present bad precedent when we really ask the question, okay, if you harass this community manager, does Bungie get damages? Should Bungie be seen as, as hurt by the law? Right. And I have questions there. So yes, I'm in favor of reductions in harassment. This sounds awful. This, and, and I would imagine that this person would lose with a fully presented case, but as the lawyer in the room, I do have to say, okay, I think we should take a pause both because it's a default judgment and also because I do think there are negative potential ramifications for allowing the corporations to win damages and liability for someone who speaks to their community manager. Like there's, yeah. it's pretty easy to see circumstances where that goes a bad direction. Sure. Sure. Good context. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess I can give kind of a bungee context on this because I know the community manager in question. We've been friends for many years. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the situation has uh, been on the radar for the bungee community for a while since it happened. Mm -hmm. It is sort of an older uh, situation and, and a, an older community manager as well. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously not very representative of the destiny community, at least the one that I know, I, I'll be the first person to knock the destiny community when they act up and they sometimes do, but they certainly aren't uh, at the level that this individual appears to have been. Um, I, I tend to agree with Hogue that it's uh, not particularly strong legal precedent. Uh, trolls aren't known for their backbones. I don't think many of them <laughs> would stand up in court and uh, stand by the things that they said or uh, make that case. Um, it would be interesting if they did. I think that would be a good legal precedent. But I think the judge is a little uh, head in the clouds about this having any real long term impacts. But it is an interesting uh, outlier case and maybe uh maybe will serve as a as a um a good precedent for the most extreme cases of online trolling where it is very very obviously destructive and damaging and we kind of all agree that this person kind of got what was coming to mm -hmm. them um but but maybe not uh wouldn't contain the nuance of you know and in between which is like sometimes people are begrudged and talk to their community manager in a manner they ought but they're uh, reasoning for being upset is well-founded. Like, for example, if this had happened because uh, the person was upset that they took away the content they paid for when they vaulted all the Destiny content, I think we'd be having a very different conversation. And uh, I, don't, I don't think Bungie would have gone to court over that. But if they did for whatever reason, I think it would be uh, much more interesting than, than what we got now. So uh, it, it's an unfortunate situation. And if you are uh, a Destiny fan, I don't think you should um, feel like uh you, the, this brings your community down in any way and if you are not a destiny fan i don't think you should point to this and say look i told you destiny players were bad this is uh of course clearly not. No. A, a mentally yeah i just I, i've seen some of that online right like yeah typical bungee player dead game yeah, yada yeah, yada yeah. um and i just want to give a shout out that uh it's not representative of the community and every community has these sorts of people We've got 800 yep. people in chat one of them might be a guy just like this i don't know we you know i don't i don't I tend hope to, I mean, we'll see. I, I half of them DM me after I post a review, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm very familiar with this type of person. I have not received any payment in the amount of five hundred thousand um, oh, dollars. If I neither that, has Bungie, by the way. Also, yeah, Bungie's never going to get that money. Yeah, also that's part, part of the fault judgment is yeah. that they don't know where this guy is. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, right, one of the, yeah. one of the things I think that was called out, uh, I didn't put it in the notes here, but that was in the article, right? What what the case was, what Bungie was presenting from what they said is that 
what they were trying to show is that these online harassment threats, right, can lead to a place of uh, in-person uh, threats, right, in-person damage, uh, where someone can cross that line between just threatening online and actually damage someone personally in person and lead to obviously yeah. bigger things in the future. Have that's happened before? Well, they have to do that because otherwise the First Amendment prevents anything from being accrued against these kinds of things. So it has to be a threat. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Yeah. What were you referring to, Dan? I mean, this, this has never happened before. Like somebody online, not necessarily obviously with this, but like, you know, nobody's ever been like, hey, I'm going to, you know, come over to your house. You know, oh, I'm sure it's happened a lot it. of times, but. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's well, just and, there's, and already, there's already people dealing with that more, right? Like, you know, my I've had friends get swatted. Right. Me too. Weird. Yeah. So I think there's already precedent for like, that has nothing to do with internet trolling, which is just like, if you threaten somebody, you have to be held accountable for uh, making, making statements that are harmful, it, like, you know, demonstrably harmful uh, to yeah. a person. Um, but I think what we're talking about is just the general idea of people uh, being dicks online, which I don't think there is precedent for. And I don't think this changes that anything. I think this no. very much past the point of being a toxic commenter, the person was, engaging oh, in yes. phone calls and other sort of more traditional harassment behavior that mm-hmm. there is an awful lot of legal precedent for. And so I, I think this was yeah, kind of just stalker law, essentially. Yeah. You're getting a stalker law and stuff that there's already kind of established um, yep. cases yep. for. So, yeah. Um, Logan with the super chat just now, what's going on, Logan um, posing a question about it. Yeah. Should Bungie shoulder the legal costs for their employees getting harassed online because of their job? Well, I mean, that's that's what Bungie's doing here, right? That's Bungie's the the plaintiff, and they mm-hmm. sue on behalf of their employee. And and what Bungie is trying to do is spend money on their own lawyers and on their own time to establish that they're willing to fight for their employees. I mean, like that's a benefit to Bungie, right? Is that the community folks at, at Bungie know that the company's yes. got their back? Like that's what Bungie's trying to do here. The question that I have is, Bungie won a little piece of this for this person was intentionally interfering with contractual relations, which you usually see as kind of corporate espionage. Uh, And what they did instead was say that this individual interfered with the contract between the community manager and Bungie, hurting Bungie's ability to get full value from the community manager because they couldn't do their job. And then Bungie gets damages. Is that okay? Because you can see a world in which just kind of strongly worded complaints about, as Travis suggests, vaulting, that come in at a high level of volume result in a community manager quitting. Does this kind of legal Mm. argument result in those folks complaining about something on a simple basis, owing Bungie some money uh, in the same regard. And I'm not saying that it would, and I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that it should, but whenever you see legal documents as a lawyer, I'm always looking at, all right, how can that be used in a way that maybe isn't anticipated? Yeah. And I, and I think that the, um, the difference there would be that, you know, usually when people are mad about vaulting, they don't call somebody's wife and make uh, very traditional unveiled threats uh, in the manner that happened in this case. So that's, again, why I don't think it is as different as the, as the, the, uh, you know, lawyers were saying it was, it's not, it's not particularly for tweeting out. We're proud of this. Yeah. They should be proud of it. I I think it's a great, but I don't, I don't think it's going to like pave the way for, the model for how to deal with online trolling legally. I, I just don't think that this is very unique. 
And Bungie, since we talk about them enough, and I certainly talk about them in virtual legality enough, has a reputation now that's earned of being a litigious company, right? They're going to go mm -hmm. and they're going to sue the cheap manufacturers. They're going to sue the people that harass their community managers. And so what they're trying to establish is you better think again before you start screwing with Bungie. And I think they're achieving that. I think they are too. Fair enough. And I don't think that's bad in the battles they're picking. I think Bungie's no. being smart about what they pick, right? They're doing things like, uh, this is a good case because it's the most extreme example, right? The, that we know it's not swatting. That probably would have been worse, but it's still pretty darn uh, nasty. Uh, and then the, the cheaters thing, I mean, and, and some of the stuff there basically ruining their, their, a lot, a big portion of their game because of, uh, the the um, companies that emerged and profited from cheating at, at the the PvP in that game, uh, which honestly, if you're at the point where you're cheating at Destiny PvP, I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, that's like you know, that's like cheating at tic tac toe. These guys, um, so it's a little, yeah. But I, I think yeah. they are picking smart battles, and and uh, it you know it's good. They're, by the way, they're not the only company that does this. Uh, if you have ever been on any PR email in the games industry, you have no doubt received i don't know 15 per week emails from nintendo uh boasting about <laughs> who they recently sued and and won against and uh this is sort of a uh you know you got to stand your ground and defend your ips or they may be deemed to uh uh a, a judge as belonging to the community at whole and so some people uh really get in your face and 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 love to talk about who they're suing and just sort of build a wall around their stuff and be like no we're suing this that we technology is ours we we did that that's us you make a yep. bowling game with motion controls and you're we're on you you know whatever so yeah fair enough well all right that's a lot of a uh, lot of law today we had you covered this week huh? um <clears throat> one of the uh more interesting things i want to jump over to was around uh, Sony's announcement. So with everything going on with the ac ac acquisition of Activision, um, Sony came out and announced this week uh, that they plan to spend over $2 billion, I think it's $2.1 billion, in game research and development with a strong focus on live service, music to Dan's ears. Um, so this will account for over 40% of Sony's overall R&D spending, surpassing its spending in electronics and semiconductor segments. So that was an interesting uh, kind of news uh, item that came out this week about Sony as a company. And then Nikkei, the, uh, the uh, analyst company, further added that over 50% of Sony's game development spending in the fiscal year ending March 2024, so basically this year, will be on PS5 live service games. And by 2026, two years from now, Sony hopes to increase this spending to 60%. Yeah, so some of those live service games survive to spend. Exactly. Them. Exactly right. They only need so, one or two, uh, Hogue. That's their play here. That's my thinking. Yeah, they. we've been talking about this for a little while. Yeah, and we've been talking about this for a little while. Like, if you looked at, like I've said before, Jim Ryan's presentation, executive-level presentation last year on kind of PlayStation as a whole, uh, this was already kind of called out. But seeing these numbers around it and the details here is uh, is interesting. And, and again, we're talking about PlayStation, right, which has a reputation around these single-player narrative games saying that in two years' time from now, fiscal year 2026, Sony hopes to increase the spending overall of their budget of 60% on live service games is, uh, is an interesting play, uh, especially considering, and keep me honest here, 
Um, as of this moment, we still haven't seen one that's coming anytime soon. We keep hearing about Last of Us factions. We haven't seen well, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think have, Travis has said, and I think it's he's right that the show is technically in their live service bucket. Correct. And we've okay. also seen Marathon, and we know that that's coming soon, which is their we know, that's, their we count, know they're counting that will be sure. one. Yes. And uh, they they have announced that Horizon has a multiplayer game coming. The Horizon Universe has a multiplayer game coming. Um, But again, we've actually seen seen Marathon, though. So we have. Well, we saw a teaser trailer. Come on, we thought it it included gameplay. Yeah, you're walking a line there. I don't know, but um, gameplay footage. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Vidoc. Anyway. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, but I mean, still, it's not like we're seeing players playing in it. You know what I mean? Um, so um, I don't know. I just find this interesting that, uh, you know, there we continue to raise the question of is Sony truly investing in live service to a big degree? And, and Bungie's acquisition was tied into that. We've talked about that heavily. But when you're talking about 60 percent of your R&D spending going towards a live, ser- live service focus, excuse me, it's uh, a big ass chunk. Um, and I know that Dan is overjoyed at this revelation. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's just, it's just stop. <laughs> this is all maybe your they're, fault. Maybe people. they're building. Maybe they're making a Hitman competitor. Dan, your favorite life service game. Yeah. No. I mean, if they're all like eight. that, then maybe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that got to be shut up pretty quick. They're not this. Well, it could they're work. Not this. <laughs> By the way, uh, and someone funny enough on on Hoag channel just asked because I was going to bring this up. Uh, I was going to segue this into the uh, rumors that uh, came out this week that they are making a Last of Us to remaster. That's the rest of the budget. Fifty percent live service, fifty <laughs> percent Last Super. of Us remasters. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> I'm just what glad they we- got Spider Man done before this crap. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> But here's the uh, thing: Spider-Man Last could be a live service game, and you'd probably like it. I don't get it. Yeah, Life Sir, Last of Us Two Remastered is wild, man. That's just they're trying to build their entire. I think it's just the the show. They're they're following the money. Yeah, you know, I was gonna know. say. I mean, Elo, uh, Last of Us One. You know, with the fire, the the remake that came out, uh, and the show's success now, and knowing that season two has been written and completed in terms of a writing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that they're going to relaunch Last of Us 2 alongside the show, but um, it does get a little bit exhausting. Boring alternate universe you could find. I, I don't, I don't mind. I can see the corporate side of things. Testament. Right. Yeah, no, I think I'm we not, can see I'm the not money about the game, Travis. I'm saying our universe, this reality. Oh, I see. I see. The world in which we get Last of Us remasters in perpetuity from Sony. Is the most boring of our multiverse of possibilities that we could have imagined. <laughs> I could be having Dark Cloud 17. Nope. <laughs> I get Last of Us 2 again. <laughs> well, and we're talking like, you know, obviously we don't know the details about development right now, right? But I, I'm, I need to see something else from Naughty Dog. You know, you're talking about a premier development studio, some of the best developers in the industry. Uh, thinking that we're wasting uh, years and years on just Last of Us remasters constantly is a little frustrating from a gamer maybe, standpoint. Maybe he's getting mad because didn't, didn't the guy just leave Naughty Dog, like the co-founder? Uh, well, yeah, the co-founder and uh, the co-president. Yep, Neil Druckmann's calling is complete. Yeah, there it is. He's yes. now king. Great. Yes. Great. Yeah. I think that's his job title. We'll see what era. We'll see what that era looks like. Uh, Right as you said that, we went to 666 concurrent viewers. So dog despot, perfect destiny. 
Um, Dog Despot's pretty good. I, I think yeah. he's, his title is just The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the Last of Me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's going to change it to The Last of Me. But yeah, anyway. I, so, look, should we talk about live service? I know you guys no, go hate for it. When I, talk I know about you want it, to. I, I, I mean, we t- we've talked about this a few times. I, I believe Sony's strategy. I think this is a big thing missing from their portfolio, and they're looking to the future as a company ought. And they're saying, look, you know, this is something we don't do well that is increasingly becoming a large part of the gaming ecosystem. And we need to invest in that and get good at it because the companies that get good at that stuff, uh, they, you know, they, they stand a better chance of being viable in the future uh, as the gaming landscape continues to evolve. Um, I think it's smart for them to do that personally. And I'm somebody who says, yes, I love some live service games, but I do think that not everything needs to be a live service game. And there's probably too many of them. As I fondly said on this show before, live service games are great. Please stop making them. Um, <laughs> and I stand by that. So I, I, do, I do think um, Sony has to get good at this. This is something that they need to have in their tool belt. I don't think it needs to be every game. And I don't think that that's what they're doing here. I think this no. is a play in the future, an investment and a, hey, let's get good at something that we aren't very good at right now, especially as uh, the industry becomes more entrenched with acquisitions and them, you know, possibly losing some pretty big uh, third party players that did a lot of stuff that they don't do poorly well, right? Like, you know, Overwatch, live service games and whatnot going over to Activision. So I think that it's a, a smart play for the future. I think Bungie was a miraculous, masterful acquisition on Sony's part. They got a hell of a deal out of that. And I think that, uh, I think Bungie didn't, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, and I, I, uh, I think that that's going to serve them well in the future as they develop these games. In terms of the quantity of games and how much budget they're spending on it, I think it's really just because you never know what's going to hit. It requires a lot of investment and uh, failed projects to get something like a Fortnite that stands the test of time and really. Uh, uh, survives and i think that that's what they're looking for in doing this they're consulting with bungie which is obviously they're they're experts in the in the room on on this sort of thing uh, at least the model I, I don't think that they are necessarily being looked at as the kings of content or game design but but when it comes to the live service model they know what they're doing um and uh yeah i i, I think this all makes sense i'm not really surprised i don't think it's going to be their focus forever but it's their focus for now and i don't think that's a bad thing i think they're doing what they need to grow up and evolve as a company and, and compete in today's uh, games ecosystem. And I think they're going to succeed personally. Sony's I a good company. Well they're, they're, they're smart. They know what they're yeah. doing. I, I, I agree with you on almost all fronts and uh, well said. And I think that um, we have talked about this before. And again, I would remind people <laughs> and Dan, this is for you too, uh, that when they did present their strategy around this and their investment level, right, they're increasing their overall investment across the board. So to Travis's point, the investment in kind of what they produce today, what they refer to as the traditional PlayStation game, I believe that's actually in their document quoted that way. Uh, the investment in traditional PlayStation games is actually larger than it was before as well. It's just that they're investing so heavily in gaming that a big portion of it is going towards live service because as Travis rightly said, it's something they haven't done well um but i i don't think it'll detract from uh the kind of traditional experiences that playstation has delivered since what early ps4 era generally speaking um so i, I it'll be interesting to see i'm 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 more than anything curious i really love multiplayer games i talk about all the time I'm a competitive guy i would love to have 
to have something on the PS5, right, in the PlayStation ecosystem that is unique um, mm-hmm. and and engaging from a competitive multiplayer perspective. Because right now there's nothing um, yeah. that interests me to that level. And I would yeah. love to turn on my PS5 and play something like that consistently like I do with a bunch of games on the Xbox side or PC side. Um, so yeah. we'll we'll see what they deliver. I'm hopeful. Even the Switch has got, I think, more successful live service games than probably right. Know, Mario Kart Eight, Splatoon. Splatoon, Splatoon, and Mario Kart Eight is kind of a live service, but they don't call it that. They don't work it that way. But Splatoon definitely is. I would describe yeah. as a live service game. Yeah. Um, I wanted to address one thing in the comments where Guybrush was saying, um, yeah, for most for most genres, he sees one to two live service games dominating. The rest are fleeting and doomed to fail. I do think that's an unfair characterization of live service games. Uh, You can run a live service game and have it be extremely successful and profitable for your company and then also end at some point, right? Not everyone is going to have the same never-ending tale as Fortnite, and that's fine, right? Like PUBG had its huge uh, explosion and then eventually kind of uh, faded into obscurity. Uh, PUBG still makes multiple billions per year, you know? They still do, and they also still succeeded very well. And that's my point, right? Is that you know nobody's buying God of War 2018 right now, right? But that doesn't mean it's a failed game. It just means that it was successful and then people moved on. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Knockout City, a very small uh, game made by a small studio, Velen Studios, they had 12, 13 seasons or whatever it was, and they sailed into the sunset. People will characterize that as a failed life service game because it didn't last forever that's crazy that's not the way it works here's the thing though the the problem with that is people that were invested in it have they invested all that money they put about skins or whatever it is now that all that crap is gone like it's just you just threw money away i mean that that sucks for that's true the consumer Uh, and not and you know or destiny you know when you talk about them vaulting stuff you know that that that's the kind of stuff that turns me off of live service games also i suck at any kind of multiplayer (laughs) so so. dan this is not an an issue that is exclusive to live service games anytime you buy something in a multiplayer game and they turn the servers off you lose all of the digital goods that you you lose access to the digital goods that you bought and so live service is you know if you're spending your money in a game that is server-based and you have to cope with the possibility of one day that game not being online that's part of the risk you're running, buddy. And I and I, I don't think that's new to live service at all. It's just that's how online games work. For games like Destiny, it hurts a little bit more because Destiny is a game that can be played a single player and there's not really a need for like a whole bunch of people to be logged on to keep it going. And so it hurts extra hard when it's like a single player game, you know, and they're removing single player content that you could just enjoy alone from the game. So it's kind of it hits a little harder in that regard. Yeah, Hitman but, will eventually be offline. I mean, and yeah. then it's screwed. a single player game, right? Yeah, and the, but and the eventually yeah, I, I'm 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 hundred percent aware, you know. But I, the the problem I have with it is, I mean, it's mostly due to the fact that I suck. But you know, I I just it, it sucks for those other people that play these games constantly. But then you have you know games like Call of Duty that are just put out a new iteration every year, and you know, yeah. Continue but I, I, I do so, like so what, what's the difference though right yeah if I mean, it's really, a game every year with call of duty and then eventually the old servers get shut off or yeah, yeah. Just, just make single player games everybody and we'll be good. yeah that's <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> a, i do like live service elements i mean I, i'm excited about diablo seasons yeah me too. Yes. because i think they're putting resources into it i think it could be really cool yes yeah agree. and the and the reason that diablo is successful is not just because they made a great game but they also invested and believed in their product enough to actually create 
teams, dedicated teams to work on seasonal content before the game came out, which is why we're getting uh, a new season next week. Right. Uh, because we're, it's just, they were already ready and it's, it, it, it draws an even more like finer point on, on high profile failures like halo infinite, a franchise oh. that had to succeed because it's Xbox's flagship product. And they still didn't believe in it enough to hire full-time employees or dedicate teams to seasonal content before the game was already out, which is flabbergasting and shows how hard this stuff is and how even large companies with lots of resources and talent and knowledge still are figuring out this thing because it's all very new. And unless you have a bungee in your back pocket, like Sony, it's super hard to navigate and prepare for. Uh, and so I'll be interested to see of these 12 games that they launch, how many of them are going to launch with a seasonal plan in motion before the game comes out. Because if you don't do that, you're just kind of throwing crap on the wall and seeing what sticks and uh, something doesn't work out or worse yet, it works out, but then you can't deliver content fast enough for players to stick with the game. That's pretty brutal. And so uh, I think a lot is going to go into how much they actually invest in these games and actually give them a chance versus i just like to see breadth right i want to make sure that all this money and these multiple projects aren't just an extraction shooter and a battle royale game and whatnot i like to see the live service kind of grafted onto the diablos of the world show me some breath do some weird stuff playstation I'll play your live service games, but make sure that the underlying game is something interesting that I want to play. Exactly. I, 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 think, I think what a lot of people think of live service games, they think of Battle Royale like Fortnite, and they go, oh, that's not my thing. But that's why I always have to point out to Dan that Hitman's a live service, that Fall Guys is a live service, it. and <laughs> and like all this stuff is because live service games can encompass a lot, and I would really hate to see them get pigeonholed into one type of game because I also am not really into Battle Royale's guys. Like, you know, I don't play Fortnite at all. I've never touched Warzone. I I'm not really I Naraka Blade Point is the one I've I've messed around with because it's kind of more more my ish. Uh but I uh I would love to see live service games uh not have one specific category that they work for. But again, I'm also on team single player games are okay too. I'm very excited for Starfield. Single player game, no live service elements. They're going with you know expansions every once in a while. No uh, live Remnant. service element yet. Yet, I don't think I don't think I don't think it will have one. Uh, Remnant Two is another game that uh, you know the early hours were pretty enjoyable, and that is not a live service game. It is going kind of the Outriders model of just releasing maybe expansion. Well, you just play Dave the Diver too, even right. a smaller kind of example. Yeah, there. It and that one is me, Travis, because I I would have assumed Remnant might have just the way you describe it, right? Different realms and correct all these branches that it it would is, it would be great for supporting yeah. live services if they wanted to. It would be great for a, a live service game. It would. It's absolutely like set up to do it. My guess is, well, two things. One, I've just heard internally from that studio that they're not super into the live service game, and I'm a big fan of creators making their own decisions. But also, uh, they are a smaller studio. Live service is basically something you have to do with a big team unless uh, your game doesn't require a ton of resources to keep up and running like Among Us or you know Fall Guys where you can get by with content creation with a smaller group of people uh a game like remnant 2 i imagine would take an enormous team to keep uh new and engaging content coming out and i don't think they have the resources to do that i think i think when remnant 2 started production it had like 30 developers it's a much smaller team so yeah yeah 
But I, I think that's a fair point to call out is uh, I think you're right, Travis. And I'm guilty of this as well, which is you hear live service and your mind can immediately goes to competitive multiplayer. And that doesn't have to be the case. True. Uh, that's not necessarily the, the total breadth of uh, live service. And uh, I agree with you, Hogue, that it'd be nice to s I hope that's what PlayStation is doing, right, is looking across their IP Me catalog, too. looking across what where there's market gaps or maybe opportunities and trying to find some new wrinkles to live service that we haven't seen before. I would love that. So yeah. uh, like Monster we'll Hunter, I think the, oh, the damn Hunter, it. Well, I know you don't like Monster Hunter, but I think Monster Hunter world, like that would be perfect for the horizon zero dawn universe. You know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. a world where you're hunting giant no, you're robots right. and you're they right. can add on to that as they go. And I think people would go bananas for that. And it's <laughs> something we haven't seen a whole lot of yet. So you probably didn't notice, but, Elu and I have a long-running joke where he loves Monster Hunter. I don't like it. We talk about mm -hmm. it. It's a long-running joke. And just not five minutes ago in chat said, Ains, do you have a Monster Hunter reference coming? And I said, absolutely not. So All right. Well, I got that. us there. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Damn. I got, you, I got yeah. you covered, Elu. Remnant 2 bro. <laughs> Monster <laughs> Hunter World is super good. That's, that's like pretty that. good, Travis, because I have to tell you, when the announcements came out, it's like Gorilla's working on weird Horizon stuff forever. I'm like, well, I like Horizon, but I wish they weren't just making weird Horizon stuff forever. You saying, well, the multiplayer Horizon could be like Monster Hunter, one, immediately makes sense, and then two, is more exciting than my first thought, which is a dumb kind of battle royale in a Horizon Multiplayer world. type thing. Yeah, That exactly. would suck, and, I, and it would not play to the strengths of like fighting big beasts. I feel like they're primed for a monster hunter world type game. And I hope that's the direction they go. It would also be cool if they distinguish themselves from monster hunter world by making it a single player game, like a Hitman style, where it was more about competing with the community and seeing how fast you can do it, what tricks you can pull off. I'm all for multiplayer, but if that's not their strengths, they could even do a single player live service game where they're just adding different robots for you to fight. And I think that would go off really well, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the question is, can the team deliver that type of content? at a, uh, a a fast enough clip to keep the community engaged. And that's the big one with that, because I imagine creating a new monster in Horizon series takes a ton of work and an enormous team. And I don't know if that's the type of content you could easily pump out for a seasonal live service model, yeah. but I don't know. It's interesting. I, I'm just, I'm interested to see what PlayStation does. And I think that they're going to have at least some successes. Undoubtedly, they will have some failures too. And that's yeah. that's that should be exciting to everybody who likes new stuff because they're trying new things and that's cool. great it's not it's not the making a remaster of the last of us two <laughs> two years after it comes out or whatever so I, uh -huh. I would say if you if you're simultaneously hating on the remake stuff they're doing and hating on the new stuff that they're telling you they're planning uh you know pick a lane buddy hate one of them more <laughs> than the other at least very fair i'm always happy to see investment in video gaming yeah exactly Exactly. I mean, the, we always say the industry has grown big enough to where there's something for you, no matter what you like at this point. So, um, in fact, I mean, generally speaking, there's more than we can even play. So, And for um, a whole bunch of different things to succeed. Live service games agreed. succeeding does not mean fewer single player games. It just means agreed. the PlayStation becomes a bigger company with more studios and they do more stuff. But I don't think they're I don't think anywhere in their messaging has said we're div divesting from single player games like that is just not they're not going to give up ground. Right. They have this area that they're just crushing it in and they want to expand on that success. They don't want to take away that success and, and gamble it on something else. That's not what they're doing. So 100%. I think the fear and, and it's one that I share a little bit is that if you do find yourself with Fortnite, then 
the ROI demands that you invest more in that Fortnite, whatever it is. And I'm just using that as an example. And so if your Ghost of Tsushima's or your God of War Ragnarok's are nice, but they make one twentieth of the money that your Fortnite makes, then we could get into a, into trouble. And to some extent, that's a fear that's born by just acknowledging how successful these things can be. Yeah. And that's not fair for the corporations who say, yeah, okay, that level of success would be great. But for people that like Final Fantasy or Dave the Diver or whatever coming out and playing those types of games to see them just swamped by potential successes of war zones or whatever is, I think, nerve wracking. Right. And that's, yeah. that's normal kind of worry about change. But I think yeah. that's, that's some of well, what you get. My, my rebuttal to that would be that I think if Sony had a Fortnite, they would uh, invest a ton of money into it. And I don't think that any of their existing studios would be a good fit for that one. So I think they'd probably have to hire from outside to make that a thing. And I think that they would use that as their money maker. Right. And then they would have their <laughs> prestige studios making single player games because that provides a different type of portfolio and a different type of PR. Right. You don't you probably aren't winning game of the year uh, with a Fortnite game, no matter how good it is, because it's not that sort of uh, prestige type game. And I think well, Sony to that wants point, to Travis PlayStation is more of a walled garden to begin with. Right. They exactly. Have that reputation. And I, they have their and reputation of just making like really high quality stuff. And I think that they want to retain that reputation. So my guess would be that Fortnite would become a bank to spend on other prestige projects. So it might have the reverse effect. So, you know, they might have more money to play with to do more kind of stuff like that, even if it's less profitable, they gain, they have reputational benefits within the industry. They uh, have a totally different workforce that is interested in making those games and probably not live service games. <laughs> and they, you know, that I've heard in like movies, some directors say you do one for them and one for yourself, right? Where you, it's reference to you making a movie that you think is going to make a lot of money for the studio. And then you make one that you actually like, and it's not as successful, but they kind of fund each other, right? And I think mm -hmm. that there is some, I think there's some of that going on in the games industry. And I think a live service game could be hugely beneficial to Sony to them to make even more single player games. So I think it could just as easily result in the exact opposite of what people are afraid of, which is them having more opportunities to make cool stuff that they actually would care about. And in that case, you should love the Fortnite of PlayStation if you like single player <laughs> Fortnite games, because I think it would actually help your game exist. I think uh, you guys yeah, just pointed out the the, the the very positive route and the very yeah. negative route, and it could be anywhere in between. It could, it could be yeah. anywhere in between, and I'm just I'm just offering the alternate. And I think I think yeah. Hogue is Hogue makes a very good point that that it could happen. One hundred percent, it could happen for sure. And it would it would make I think it would it would make everybody who is a PlayStation fan feel like they had portrayed their roots and done some stuff. And it also, I don't think would make sense because you don't typically move away from something you're good at you just add on other things that you want to be good at and i think that's what sony's doing but i i, I get where there's where my colony from. wars then travis <laughs> i mean maybe maybe the fortnite of playstation will will fund that that wouldn't that be great if they no, could make if they could, Absolutely. if they could take a risk on that because they have this money maker and they're like hey look this game's gonna pay the bills creatives well, and, go out and there and Epic try new has stuff. shown that level of aggression with their fortnite money and yeah. i think that's a it's a perfectly valid way to look at the world i think the concern that I have with the Sony is that right now the institutional will seems to be to make Last of Us Part Two again. And so my yeah. concern is you give that company a lot more money, you don't necessarily see that breadth of, of positivity and Correct. positive uses that you have pitched to me. So I, yeah. I think it's a concern of both the institutional yeah, I get it. character 
and what live services might mean. But I, I would love to see Sony succeed. I would love to see everybody have a Fortnite where they're just making a lot of money and, and that gaming is proving to be a good use of investment funds because that gets you more and better games. But yeah. I think people's concerns are legitimate. And so when you say something like, it doesn't have to mean that these resources are spent over here and that you're losing your game. To some extent, I agree with you. But on the other side of the coin, if Guerrilla is making a multiplayer Horizon, they aren't making you know Horizon 3. Well, their team could grow and they could be making both. Yeah. So I, th- I think probably studios are doing that and working on multiple projects. And I don't know that a lot of people working on traditional open world guerrilla games are interested in making a multiplayer game or that that's even their skill set. So they're either firing a whole bunch of people that were really good at what they did or they're just adding new people to their team. And I would guess it's the latter. Another interpretation of them making re- remasters of old games is that perhaps they don't have the war chest that they feel like they can take creative risks right? Maybe they're doing what they feel is easy and what they know will be profitable because they've got massively uh, successful games that they just want to milk. And perhaps if they had a war chest, if they had a Fortnite, then they could be a little crazy like Epic is doing and they could try other stuff because they, they, they are less risk averse than a company that um, knows that they're only three failures away from going bankrupt, right? Three high profile failures. Um, and I feel like some of these games companies are worried about that a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you're, you're completely valid in your your worry. Uh, I would just I would temper some of that worry with maybe a little bit a little pepper of optimism in there and say that maybe this could actually be a good thing for their their company if it works out. And I I tend to be on that side. I I'm, it's a bit of devil's advocacy for me. I don't really have a problem with yeah. them spending on live services. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's good to know. Yeah. It'll be uh, one way or another. No matter what, it's going to be interesting to see what they do do right and see what they <laughs> produce and do do what they produce and uh develop and you know where it lands and how the audience uh, reacts to it so uh, i'm looking forward to talking about that um i guess a perfect segue then to uh the last topic i want to talk about today which is electronic arts um because they are focused on single player games shockingly uh so this week they announced the opening of cliffhanger games a new studio which is going to be dedicated to creating a black panther game um, so some of the details about this, uh, you know, industry veterans uh, in that studio. Um, I know we have the details up on our site, of course, uh, but run by Kevin Stevens from Monolith. Um, and they have developers and veterans from franchises, Halo, God of War, Call of Duty, uh, Shadow of Mordor, etc. Working on Black Panther. It's an original third person single player Black Panther game in collaboration with Marvel. Um, so, uh, the actual quote he gave Stevens offered this press statement. He said, uh, we're dedicated to delivering fans a definitive and authentic black Panther experience, giving them more agency and control over their narrative than they have ever experienced in a story driven game. Weird statement there, but Wakanda is a rich superhero sandbox. And our mission is to develop an epic world for players who love black Panther and want to explore the world of Wakanda as much as we do. So, so is that is that different from Black Panther and Captain America fighting World War II? That was like a really brief teaser we saw a little while back, right? That was that's from Amy Hennig, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. Please correct me, someone. But I believe Amy Hennig's team is working on a uh, kind of crossover Marvel game in in those universes. Yes, so that's okay. coming as well. And l- don't forget, the reason I said EA at the start is uh, Motive, right? Is also making the Iron Man game. So there's there's multiple superhero games coming in different facets from 
uh, this group. And and also reg- relating to EA, right, is Immortals of Avium is an EA original. They're publishing that for the developer as well. So uh, all single player focus games. Um, and I'm not I'm not one for superhero games personally, but obviously uh, there are a lot of people that are. So I, uh, you know, hope they deliver some really good experiences here in Iron Man and Black Panther. I mean, Spider-Man's great. So sure. Hit me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, Dan, Man news just for you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. It could be good. It's motive. Did the, the new, like battlefront or not battlefront. It's a battlefront too. Uh, yeah. no, they no, did, um, squadrons. squadrons. Yeah. Motive yeah. did squadrons, which okay. is yep. one of the more overrated games from I my perspective, it. but they also, did, they also did the remake for dead space. Right. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Well, they got the flying down. So, you know, Iron Man might be good. I don't know. Who knows, man? Well, the the rumor is, too, that Dead Space 2 is beginning to be worked on, right? So as a remake, Mm -hmm. which I hope because Dead Space remake was brilliant. So I hope so. Buy everything old again, folks. Yeah. (laughs) One and two. They can leave three. Just do two. Just do two. I'm not not a huge. Well, I think they should do three again. But, yeah, I, I... I, I'm not a big fan of remakes, and I'm also not a huge fan of licensed Marvel stuff. Uh, you know, I, I like Spider-Man as much as the next guy. I think that Square Enix's Guardians of the Galaxy is super underrated. That was my uh, favorite game of that year. That was a great great game that year. I can't remember what my favorite game that was that year, but I'm sure it was a good one. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love to... Um, I would love to see new ideas, but I I get it. Agree. Licenses are a big thing right now, and well, that's why I said Portals of ABM, right? That's a new idea that they are publishing, so and supported, which I I like. Uh, okay. <laughs> now wait a minute. <laughs> I, I I'm all for disagreeing, Travis, but Ains is exactly correct. Immortals of ABM is a new weird thing they're trying. Oh, 100. No, he he said I, I liked that. That was the part I. I have Larry David at him about. You know. <laughs> is this, we're going to have a weekly Larry David uh, impression at this point? Is that I really I hope we, so. I think we have to grant him that Immortals of Avium is weird and different. It is and definitely weird and different. Yeah, originals have been good at being weird and different. I really liked a game from yes. a while back called Lost in Random. I thought that was fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that cool. was that where It Takes yeah. Two came from in terms of their publishing, I think, I think was EA. Yep. Uh, I think you're right. Yes. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the end game here is uh, assuming Black Panther and Iron Man do well, which uh, assuming they're good games, I'm sure they will, given the licensing, uh, you know, eventually we can get our Anthem 2. Right. I think right. Exo Primal might be Anthem 2. Have you played Exo Primal at all? Right. Those, Only briefly in the demo. I haven't played rigs this look like Anthem. They do. Sadly, you it's play uh, Armored Core. You got that this year. Ants? I do. Actually, yes, Boys I'm very excited about that. There you go. Which uh, we joked yeah. about last week. You couldn't believe was actually coming out next month. That's only I a month away. I still can't believe it's coming out. I do not know how <laughs> they developed that game while they're making Elden Ring. That seems crazy to me. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, Anthem is not going to come back though, Ains. And I know. Should it. You shut your mouth. The concepts of Anthem might, but the name is absolute cancer. I think <laughs> you're probably right. Yeah, it's a shame. I wonder, um, I wonder if, they, if Motive is is using some of, you know, the Anthem flying mechanics. From Frostbite? Yeah, from Frostbite. I think are they, they're using Unreal, I believe, for Iron Man. I don't know if they announced yeah, that. I have to look, but yeah. That was the best part of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Amazing. Um, 
But it is kind of funny. I think uh, many people have talked about this too, but you know, there was a, a few years back where we were talking about EA as kind of like falling apart um, in terms of what they were delivering. And here, uh, generally speaking, uh, it seems they've turned a corner in delivery. Uh, obviously, have Battlefield they? 1942 aside, or not well, 2042, excuse me. <laughs> 1942. Um, that, that was the original game, yeah. To Travis's credit, EA is doing what he said that Sony could do, which is that they're taking things like The Sims and making that a full live service game, running their bank account off of games like that, and then yep. saying and let's FIFA makes some random single player games. Yeah, FIFA yeah. Madden, they're their money makers, man. And then you know, make some other games, license some games, make some other stuff. Okay, one for them. News one in the chat two. here. Uh, looks like Jim Ryan is here, and he's uh, working on a big deal with EA. <laughs> All right, Jim Anthony Ryan's is, here. What's up, Jim? Ryan. Ryan. Hell yeah, you doing, buddy. That's definitely what Jim Ryan does on his off hours. He comes yeah. in yeah. with a with a mis yeah. uh, misaligned PlayStation logo. Actually, that yeah. makes me think it may be him. Yeah. Uh, the misaligned logo. Um, how are your cat doing, circle. Jim? It's, it's cropped. It's, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's the original PlayStation Logan. I don't know if Jim even knows that one, to be honest with you. He probably doesn't know Ooh, what that is. So that's probably wow. not. Called him out yeah. for not being a <laughs> OG gamer. This is what they do at seasoned gaming. If you aren't seasoned enough, they uh they they choose their seasoning as salt mm. and they use it against oh, you. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that you see that. See what I, did yeah, I see that. that let me let me ask you directly then. Do you believe Jim Ryan was a hardcore PlayStation One gamer? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. It's just it's not a bad thing. You know, I know lots of people that weren't <laughs> hardcore PlayStation me? One gamers. They're not. Jim Ryan has a flipped me. over PlayStation One that he plays today. <laughs> with a towel <laughs> with a towel <laughs> uh, it's good it's good stuff oh man good to see you jim glad you you're here because you're older uh, can i ask you a question <laughs> what was up with those things that were supposed to fix your scratched cds that oh, never yeah. worked do you remember those yeah they did oh, yeah uh, i remember they Did they were... work? I, I remember I paid like, you know, game crazy. <laughs> you know, remember Hollywood videos? Uh-huh, uh, yeah. I paid like game, game crazy, like $2 or whatever they charged to run my game through one of those. And I just remember like, apparently it just like rips the film off of your CD and, and made no. it not run or whatever. But I never was able to get those successfully worked. Did those all, work? From what I understand, all it was supposed to do was add a little filler in the scratches, right? So it could be read properly. as That's so, the, the handheld ones you're talking about, right? No, they had those machines. They put it yeah. in and it, and it did it. Yeah. I remember that. And then my game still didn't run. And they were like, a lot of, a lot of games, like, like uh, shops, you know, similar to GameStop, but like the, the, I guess the more the, the privately owned ones have those kind of machines where they can do like 40 of those games because they get a bunch of trade-ins and they just run it through and it repolishes and everything. I mean, they're like four to $6,000 machines though. But you know, so, they work, right? What? You, they, they, work? Wor- they work? You know, they yeah, work? They work. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My yeah. recollection is that what worked for me is that I had a little squeeze bottle of stuff. Yes. Exactly. Crank. Yeah. The, the $15 kit that you could buy to keep it yeah. home. And yeah, they work exactly. sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Once in a while. Yeah. I, I didn't have a good experience with that. And I was wondering if it was just like some pseudoscience, like, oh, we could totally fix it. Nah. Hey, I, I but, bought okay, one good to know. physical disc this year and it didn't work. So I'm over it. <laughs> I read about that. Yeah. So nice. I think you're on team uh, digital only alongside me, Hoke. So I'm I, I'm, yeah, I'm very excited to watch the, the Ainses of the world. Uh, you know, slowly fade into fade obscurity. 
Very good, man. Yeah. It's been yeah. happening for a while, my friend. Enjoy your empty Starfield steelbook, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's all I want. I prefer the steelbook over the disc. I, I know. Yeah, you don't even want the disc. You just want the book, man. You don't need the. You need no, the there is a disc. They they did say they're shipping it. Oh no, there's no disc. No, no, no. Yeah, in the in the regular edition, there's a disc. Oh, yeah, there the was regular. that there was that yeah. flurry of news articles after the yeah. the ultimate said there was no disc that. Maybe they're not releasing it physically, right? Because Alan Wake isn't being released physically. Yeah, that's a big so, one, actually. Yeah. Like that moment in time is coming. People know that. But it's not Starfield. So. Starfield is not mm-hmm. going to yeah. be yeah. digital. Basically, online. a support rep said it wasn't coming with a disc, and sites ran with it thinking yeah. it was all I want to respond to a comment that somebody's saying somewhere <laughs> a video game's preservationist is screaming, physical discs. Do not preserve the game. I have to say this every time it comes up. It may they have all the same disadvantages in terms of preservation as digital copies. Stop saying that, everyone. Well, from the newer from the newer generations. Correct. The old ones. The old ones. Yeah. Correct. Still. He's as referring to we, the ones where you basically download the game anyway. You're just putting it exactly, key in. which which is yeah. all games today. So saying that going forward. Uh, no, it's not all. It's like ninety nine percent. Calm down. Exactly. So my my point is that you don't. <laughs> and then and then people also say this. They say is buying a digital game more like long time expensive renting? Uh, yes, because of digital rights management or DRM. But importantly. So is buying a disc. It has the exact <laughs> same policy. You still don't own the game. You are still technically renting it. They could still technically take it away from you at any point in time. That's how it works. When you, you basically always again. were, by the way, folks. It's you, just they you always have were. mechanisms to remove it. Folks Correct. that ask me this in virtual legality, I often point to <clears throat> like there used to be printing on the disc itself that said it's subject to the license in the instruction book, that yes. kind of thing. And you never noticed it because you never cared when you were younger or you probably don't care now, but like, that's always said, Hey, look, by the way, you purchasing a copy of resident evil doesn't give you the intellectual property rights to the resident evil franchise. You know that intrinsically, but at a basis of playing the video game, it means that if we had some way to rip it off your disc, we could. And that's what the current reality is, is they do have some way to take those things down. And so you always, only have a license based on the terms of what you've agreed to for the game that you're playing. 70 yeah. bucks doesn't buy you yeah. all the intellectual no. property. Basi- yeah. Basically the, what the, the disc, disc does today is of ownership. That's the, no, idea. but it does give you a resellable key. Essentially. You can't resell a digital True. key. You can resell a disc. True. And, so. and I think they are trying to solve that problem of how they are. Do. Re- yeah, they will. And they will, right? Xbox tried to solve it and then they got slapped in the face for even proposing it, which yes. I think is hilarious yeah. in retrospect. But uh yeah, I I, th- I think eventually that day will probably come. That is a that is a, a disadvantage of the digital. But I would say everything else, they pretty much have parity, especially in terms of game preservation. They have identical parity. Modern, modern uh, game preservation. Modern yeah. for the for the past, you know, fifteen years or however long it's been. Um uh, yep. so yeah. Uh, by the way, Jim Ryan has told us uh, in Hoax chat here that Spider-Man 2 will win Game of the Year. I'm sorry, Jim. It's not going to happen, my friend. Well, he, he's betting his 2023 body, A6, that uh, Spider-Man will win Game of the Year. Yeah. I, I like I like the idea that because he's Jim Ryan, he knows what's going to win Game of the Year. I love that <laughs> assertion because, I mean, it, that's something I would expect Jim Ryan to say, but he doesn't yes. have any influence over that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, he hasn't like, played it. I know. But... I'm in the industry. We've already made this decision, okay? Like, we decided it's Game of the Year already. You guys just don't know. I'm in the, I'm in the circle. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, boys. I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, it's been an amazing show. Uh, Chat, you have been awesome today. Jim, thanks for stopping by, my friend. Uh, Sean I mean, was huge. better. Sean yeah. was better, but, oh. you know, it's okay. You're doing fine. Um, for the records, Ains is not convinced that Jim Ryan is in my chat, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, yes. yeah. Um, but no, great show. Uh, like I said, chat, you've been awesome. Both sides of the house. Everyone joining us today, if you're listening to this later or listening on the audio side, thank you so much, as always. Uh, this week, uh, as we already said earlier, both IGN from Travis and our review from Elu of Remnant 2 will be up on Thursday. So yes. please check those out. And, uh, you know, the early impressions that we gave uh, should hopefully get people excited. And hopefully uh, the full game will be, uh, you know, uh, deliver like the early game does. Um, on the SG side as well, uh, I talked last week, I know, about putting up the review video of the uh, Odyssey Maxwell headset. I changed out. They have these replaceable ear cups, so I actually waited till I got these to use them. I'm going to put those in the review. That'll be up early this week as well. Uh, on the video side, we also did a cast co-op this week, me, Joe, and Luke. Uh, that's up on the channel. And then lastly, uh, I should be doing a write-up of Synapse um this week as well uh, on the vr side so uh keep an eye for that uh hogue i'll go to you first this week what do you want to shout out man sure well obviously if the deal closes we're going to do a virtual legality if it doesn't i'm still intending to do some virtual legalities probably at a lesser clip than i was doing before it takes a lot more effort it takes a lot longer to get one of these done right now but i'd like to continue to do those videos in the space we have lawyers and dragons on saturdays we just did one yesterday we have one next week so if you like Dungeons and Dragons and you like lawyers, I don't know what's wrong with you on the second part, but come check it out with us. <laughs> we play tabletop role-playing games, and especially one of my buddies likes to lawyer every single rule. So we'll see what happens next week. <laughs> things got pretty crazy yesterday. If you like any of those things, if you're interested in the deal, we'll be talking about it more. Come check it out at Hogla on YouTube. Thank you, sir. Um, sorry, one thing I forgot real quick, too. Shout out to Mr. Mariano Pampa, my Halo uh, partner in crime here. He, uh, one, he um, uh, donated five channel memberships on the season gaming side. So thank you very much for that. Nice. Super generous. Um, I missed that because that does not pop up over on our side here. I always forget to call it out. Uh, the other thing he reminded me of is I am doing a Halo community stream uh, either tomorrow, Monday night, or Tuesday night with some of the bigger Halo players in the community. I haven't streamed in a while, but it should be a really good time. Good players, you know, just laughs and fun. So uh, I'll tweet out about that as well if you're interested. All right. Travis, what you got, man? Uh, one sec. I'm messaging Hogue to see if I can talk about something. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can, you can read my review, uh, or watch the video review on, uh, IGN.com for remnant two. Uh, also, if you want to uh, see a game, you should not play, uh, my review of Testament is, uh, is, is live, uh, right now. And then I've got, um, some games that I previewed, um, recently that, uh, are going to be coming out soonish. I think one of them, uh, that I'm excited to, uh, talk about is um blasphemous 2 um which i went uh in person cool. and played played with the developers uh themselves i apparently this is this isn't a humble brag i just am telling you it because i think it's it's kind of oh, it's a humble it's, brag i can hear it's it not a humble, it's i not can a humble hear brag it coming here. when i brag i own it i, I never humble about <laughs> it all right i'm just like i'm the best i'm the best no one can beat me um which is that uh apparently that day they had demoed the game a bunch with a bunch of different outlets and people that came to play and nobody got even 
like very far at all because they were just doing like you know play until you die or whatever and uh i got not only all of the three weapons but i got to one of the boss fights which you can do in any order and apparently i picked like the hardest one so i didn't realize it but when i was playing the demo their entire team got behind me and they were recording me because they were just like very excited like there was energy in the room and i was completely oblivious to it because i was you know wearing a headset and focusing on the game and I got to the final phase of this three phase boss fight on my first run. And then when I finally got killed, I like threw my hands in the air all upset and I turned around and they were all laughing. And it was, That's kind of awesome. like a, it was kind of a fun little moment with that team. So it was cool to, to just see, uh, to see that come together. So I'll, I'll have a preview on that sometime in the near future. Um, I don't know uh, when, but I'll be able to talk about it. Um, yeah. And then um, I'm also doing this show uh, next weekend mm. on Saturday called lawyers and dragons. I know nothing about it. it. Never mm. heard of it. Don't know anybody who's involved in it. But you know, <laughs> they said they needed a they, they needed a guest uh, who 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 rolls some dice and knows a thing or two about tabletop role playing games. And uh, I'm just I'm going to show up and see what happens. I've I've no idea. So I can't believe you got invited to that. I can't <laughs> no, believe you're crazy. going. <laughs> who who indeed who invited me to that so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be there next saturday and uh i don't know what to expect i've not watched the show i guess i should preface that as i don't know where they're at in the campaign so he's I always a big supporter hoag yeah uh, look look i we all have love a of time on our weekend. exactly <laughs> thank you thank you i'm sorry i just i i really wish i i had time to catch up but it's on my <laughs> way. um but the good news is is i will in character also not know so really aren't i just Aren't I just uh, method acting here? You know, I just I don't want to sure. know anything that my my character shouldn't know. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this is the process, guys. Trust you're, process. you're the guy that only asks for the pages of the script with his lines on it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what does my character know about? I don't want to see anything. That <laughs> uh, should be a great time. Definitely make uh, make time to stop by and say hi to you guys. That'd be fun. So we'll have awesome. some fun. No doubt. No doubt. Well, again, everyone, you've been awesome today. It's been a fun show, guys. Thank you. Everyone, have a good week gaming. We will be back next Sunday and, of course, next Saturday. Make sure you check out Lawyers and Dragons with these fine fellows. Um, and we will see you then. Take care. Have a good week. <laughs>